1: Hi, B Nation. Welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Kind of a special edition today, Ryan. That's Ryan Roberts. For those who don't know, I'm Brian Driscoll, publisher at Irish Breakdown. That's my recruiting director, which means he's been very busy the last couple of days and will remain so over the next couple of days because, Ryan, tomorrow is the or beginning of the early signing period for Notre Dame and the rest of college football. Players are going to finally get to put their names in the dotted line in what is the dumbest early signing early signing period ever in the history of mankind because uh, I think it's ignorant that you have an early an early signing period a mu- less than a month and a half before the official signing period, but whatever, it is the NCAA, so why would we think it would make sense? But it is an early signing period for Notre Dame, and it is going to be an interesting 24 hours, Ryan. That's all we're going to say about that. We have an update on the message board about the latest of Peyton Bowen. And Jay Lamar. We'll somewhat discuss those here, but those are going to be a lot of that's going to be behind a paywall stuff. But we'll, we'll kind of get into it as much as we can here uh, and with what I'm comfortable putting out publicly at this point in time. So we decided let's do a little pre signing day mailbag and we can talk about team, we can talk about recruiting, we can talk about college football, whatever you guys want to do, other players going to other schools, whatever the case may be. It's going to be kind of an open college football mailbag today because we kind of decided, Ryan, like diving into. Uh, like a game breakdown today, when tomorrow's going to be recruiting, Thursday's going to be recruiting, Friday's going to be mailbag, and then the weekend is Christmas. Just didn't seem to make a lot of sense. So we're gonna we're gonna do it this way. Also, to reminder tomorrow's show, a special edition. Tomorrow's definitely a special edition show, Ryan. We're gonna go live at ten a.m. And right now we're scheduled to go to three, but it is three with an asterisk by it because we could go longer just depends on how everything goes down tomorrow. We have a ton of guests lined up tomorrow. We're going to have some Notre Dame commits on the show tomorrow. We're going to have some uh, uh, commit parents on tomorrow and it's uh, you know, obviously his day gets very busy, but as of right now, we plan on having the Godfather Tom Lemming on tomorrow as well to talk about Notre Dame's class. And so we're getting started at 10 because by 10, all the time zones except for Hawaii are now able to sign. So by ten, you should start hearing faxes is kind of coming in for, you know, Cooper Flanagan and and any you know Rico Flores and some of those West Coast guys. We don't have to worry about any Hawaii kids this year, and so that's why we decided to go live at ten is to do that. So uh, we'll we'll kind of go live through th- then. We'll, we'll have people on throughout the day. We'll have analysis throughout the day. The point of tomorrow's show we'll be, we'll discuss the class clearly, but it's going to be to talk about the latest news, what's happening, get people on so you all can meet parents, meet recruits, talk about the class uh, from a big picture standpoint. And then Thursday, we'll take an even deeper dive into the class. We'll share some of the backstory. We'll share some of the stuff that went down in the final, you know, 72 hours, the final two weeks, just some of the stuff that we're kind of holding back for now we'll put all that stuff on the message board day of but we'll kind of talk about it on on the show on thursday and then we'll get into just class breakdowns and grades and all that kind of stuff so the more detailed analysis will be you know where we kind of break it all down will be some uh thursday just so everybody knows kind of what's going on and then of course tomorrow night We will have the Ivy Nation Sports Talk Show at 6. They'll talk recruiting and some other topics. And then uh, I'll be on with uh, Malik Zaire and Sean Davis on the Lucky Lefty podcast, which is going to start at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. And that'll be kind of our wrap-up of the day. Sean will be on. So Lucky Lefty will not have a show tomorrow morning. They're going to be on – or Sean is going to be on with us starting at 10 a.m. And then I'm going to go on. So we're going to kind of have a couple crossover shows with Lucky Lefty, which we can do now because – they're part of the IB family uh, as the the Notre Dame channel on uh, CFB Nation. So, we'll, we'll, Ryan, it's going to be a, a crazy, fun, busy day, and your first official signing day because technically you were hired for signing day in February last year, mm-hmm. but Notre Dame was done, mm-hmm. so it didn't really <laughs> it didn't really matter last year. So, your first official signing day. Now, we'll have a live blog running throughout the day, too, that will update when kids are signed. And we'll have cards and we'll have all types of cool stuff. So uh, my wife made graphics for the, for the kids that have committed to you're going to sign tomorrow. I think they're really sharp and really cool. Ryan had a chance to look at them. So uh, it's going to be a fun day, Ryan. But a very busy day. And uh, this next 24 hours are going to be very, very interesting.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers?
2: Easy. With Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your
3: business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. Constantcontact.com.
2: I mean, I look forward to obviously breaking down the class in general on Thursday a little bit more in depth and talking about the areas of strengths and things that you're really excited about moving forward. But I mean, for me, for me, Brian, like it. tomorrow's show is really what I am looking forward to so much because it's been great to kind of get the stuff ready for the events you know all the articles and backstories and all that great stuff but being able to have some of the commits come on the show again to have their parents come on the show getting Tom Lemming's perspective on the class and Notre Dame is put together I mean that's what this that's what tomorrow's for right because I mean there's gonna be backstories as far as you know who ends up signing who doesn't sign what you know flips from a national perspective you know all the backstories that go with recruiting but I talked about this yesterday on the show with Sean. I'm most excited just to celebrate this class, you know, the first official one under Marcus Freeman and the successes that their staff had, the and the players more than anything, you know, get the guy, get guys like Drake Bowen on the show tomorrow that have been players that we've been so excited about and get a little more of a full scope as far as who they are as people and young men and student athletes. And so I'd really just, Tomorrow is going to be a lot of fun to celebrate the accomplishments of these young athletes because they deserve it, man. They put a lot of work in, and this is kind of a cultivation of all the hard work over the last few years. So that's kind of what I'm most excited about is just get their perspective, the parents' perspective, and really be able to celebrate
1: this 2023 class for Notre Dame. Let's kind of dive into some of these questions. Oh, by the way, also, if you want to talk about Drew Pine picking Arizona State, we can, but we're not going to discuss. We don't have, other than just letting people know that for those that didn't know, Drew Pine did announce yesterday he's going to Arizona State. So I'm I'm very happy that Drew found a home, found a home quickly, and is going to a situation where it looks like he'll be given an opportunity to compete for the starting quarterback job. So very happy for Drew. As I've said all along, I love Drew Pine. I think he's a great kid, great family. I just didn't think he was the guy for Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. and I didn't like how he left, but I had no problem with him leaving. He has to do what's best for him in that situation. So uh, very happy for Drew. Hope it works out. Hope he's able to go down there and have some success. Um, And he's got to be thinking, like, man, ended the season against Pac-12 team, ripped up the best team, you know, second-best team in the Pac-12. I may be able to do some things out there in Tempe. Mm So I hope things go very, very well for Drew.
2: And, and what, what, uh, what Kenny Dillingham just did with Bo Nix this year, right? Like right. Bo was a very inconsistent player at Auburn, and then he's able to really take the best out of him this year and get the best football that Bo Nix has ever had in college. So I mean, he's going to a with a head coach that has done pretty good stuff as far as you know making a making an offense really exciting, making an offense respectable in a very short amount of time with that had question marks going in, obviously to work in last year. So I think it's a good fit for drew from a, I think Kenny will be able to get the most out of him, which, you know, we, we agree that there's still some more to untapped potential for a drew pine. And, you know, I hope for the best for him. I do. Yeah. I never had any, any issues with drew other than the way he left. Cause You only heard good things about Drew pine as a, as a young man.
1: So I hope he does very well respected by his teammates, very well respected by the coaches. Again, I think some people didn't like how he left, but Mm -hmm. it's more of like a, Hey man, I don't agree with that, but love you, you know, do what you got to do. I think is how, um, is kind of how everybody feels about it. But, uh, obviously he doesn't have the physical tools that that Bo Nix had but yes you're correct I mean and even look at what Kenny Dillingham did at Florida State helping develop Travis or Jordan Travis as well he started to kind of take jumps with with Kenny Dillingham at the helm as well so very excited to see what he and, and wasn't he also Paxton Lynch's quarterbacks coach at Memphis was he there during that or was it just the kid the other kid that they had the one that chipped the one that was um uh there with chip who who was the what was the name of the kid that came after uh lynch this is riley ferguson yeah uh yes. yes yes that's him so he was at Memphis in 17 is when he was the quarterback's coach at Memphis so that would have been Riley Ferguson not not Paxton Lynch that have been the day after and then he was in at uh Auburn in 2019. So hmm. so yeah so Kenny Dillingham had some success offensively against Notre Dame that's for sure if you remember correctly yeah. Florida State moved the ball pretty well against Notre Dame in 2020. They just mm-hmm. couldn't stop their Dame's defense, and then of course last year uh, in 2021 they moved the ball effectively. So oh, hopefully don't. it's uh, hopefully things work out for Drew. So beyond that, I mean, you know, I probably even talked about a little bit more than than uh, <laughs> than we were planning on it. But uh, if you guys want to dive into it more, we can dive into more in a mailbag. So let's get started on that aforementioned mailbag, Ryan. We already have a ton of questions started already, and we got a lot more we haven't even got to yet that we got to start. Let's start off here with DMND13, someone we had the pleasure of meeting at the tailgate this year twice, actually for me. Regardless of the outcomes this week, how much more fun and enjoyable is it to cover follow recruiting this year with the staff's high expectations, belief in Notre Dame, and relentless effort plus battling? Ryan, that's be a little hard for you to answer since this is kind of your first year covering it. But I'll just go ahead and yeah. say so. Um, you can't really answer it from the how much more fun cause you've never done it before, but I'll just ask you just take out the much more and just how fun and enjoyable was it for you to cover and follow recruiting this year for Notre Dame, if it was at all. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's, it was, it, it's a little bit of a roller coaster. And I know that we have kind of accepted that's just kind of the world of recruiting just historically, but especially now with trying to understand the NIL landscape and transfer portal implications and, just all the nuances behind the scenes of recruiting, I'd say that, I mean, Dan kept me busy, man. (laughs) It really did. I I really did enjoy it because like, I mean, the the best part of the job, honestly, is the relationships you build, right? And that's not even relationships just between in the Irish Breakdown staff with guys like Brian and Sean. It's obviously the recruits, it's their parents, it's coaches. And being able to really develop those relationships is, is awesome. You know, like you get the backstories, you know, like the Armel Mookum backstory as far as him coming from Canada and only playing football for two years. And then the Sam Pendleton, you know, how he's kind of risen in the recruiting rankings and doesn't really like going to any camps, but, you know, super just religious guy who loves to just play football, you know, and you get a lot of those backstories, which is the best part, you know, and and even my roots in the game of football, just in general, that's something that I've always gravitated towards is, stories you know and, and the backstories and what makes players who they are and what then what they take and and that's been the best part is just kind of getting to know a lot of these guys and to and to grow those relationships you know and and but it's it, it it's definitely something where the magnitude of how this staff operates going after so many high profile kids and you know, missing on a couple, but also making headway in a, a large way with some other big ones and then identifying players that maybe they were a little bit ahead of the curve with, like a guy like a Ben Minich or an Armel Mukum or or Brandon Hillman, like a player like that. I think that it was a general just incredible experience to be able to see how this staff operates because they're not afraid to go toe-to-toe with the big guys. They're not. Then they're also – a really good evaluation staff, you know, like Chad Bowden and Marcus Freeman and this staff, they like to find the guys that are great fits for them and have athletic upside, but might not be in the precipice as far as, you know, how high their ranking is yet, but then they get on those kids. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, well, now they're getting this offer and that offer and this offer. And Arma Mokum is now the 191 player in the country. So I think it keeps you busy. There's going to be some, there's going to be some frustration at points with stuff, right? Because the NIL stuff and everything that kind of comes around it. But I mean, it was an absolute joy to be able to get to know this 2023 class, get to cover them, get so many backstories. I think just the general love that they have and genuine love that they have for each other in this class and the coaching staff, that's the good stuff, man. That's what relationships are made. That's what makes football the best sport in the world. That's it right there because it it really is a family and I think that's what Marcus Freeman is breeding in the Notre Dame just side of side of the you know of, of the sport is the fact that like hey man you know we're going to be successful we're going to compete for championships we're going to recruit at a high level but the authenticity is something that every recruit and parent has been just so consistent to talk about. He's breeding a culture at Notre Dame, so it's been it's been an absolute joy, man. It's been great to follow along and learn and. Next year is going to be even better. So I'm excited for it. You know, for me,
1: Ryan, I got to admit it was, it was a bit of a, there were some really good things about covering it this year. I loved covering the staff. This staff is relentless. Like I can't wait to see how tomorrow finishes because there's a lot of stories that we have about how all things went down and Sean Davis and I were talking, and we're gonna talk about this more tomorrow and on Thursday, but we were going over like who can we say definitively no way this guy is in the class of Brian Kelly is still here? And it was a long list, a very long list, especially on offense. And and so you look at – I probably shouldn't say that because then there's certain name these defensive guys that they might have had a hard time. But, you know, I felt like Marcus Freeman was able to kind of overcome some of that stuff in 2022. I think he would have done it in 2023 class. But there were some guys like, you know, we talked about like Christian Gray, who it, it was a battle between LSU and Ohio State. And it was yep. the head coach plus the corners coach plus the DC plus Chad Bowen that was able to win the day. Remove one of those guys from the equation, and would it have been enough to get him over the finish line? Maybe, maybe not. So I don't know if I'd say him definitively but he's one that's a question mark so there's all these different things and that part of it was fun but it was also disappointing because it's kind of like could you imagine the success Notre Dame could have had recruiting if they had a head coach like Marcus Freeman or a head coach like Brian Kelly who actually worked at recruiting Mm -hmm. for the last 10 years before NIL was a thing because they're having this level of success with NIL like what would they have done if they had a, this kind of staff and, and, and someone like Chad Bowden and, and a head coach that worked hard on the recruiting trail and who demanded that from all of his assistant coaches for the 10 previous years, boy, it starts getting kind of exciting about it, right? It just kind of confirms what, 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 we, what I've said for a long time, Ryan, and what you have always agreed with me on, which is most of Notre Dame's problems the last 20 years were not because of admissions or academics or the field or whatever other excuse people want to use. It was self and self-inflicted wounds. Was everything that way? No, but a lot of things were. And when it comes to recruiting and the, and the not maximizing the recruiting success, that to me uh, is a, is a big one for me was just not having, not ha- not being able to have seen that type of work ethic and results Outside of the NIL era, you start mm-hmm. thinking about that. So that's my only kind of, I don't say regret, but the thing that kind of bounced because I hate what's happening right now with the NIL and the transfer portal. I am a big proponent of NIL and I have no issue with that. The previous transfer rules were garbage, mm-hmm. but the way that they're being implemented now and the NCAA just having this hands off approach is just made something I used to love and enjoy really dirty. And, and, um, and the thing that sucks is, is so many of the kids get blamed in, in some instances, they deserve it, right? Like we've said this, there's a kid that decommitted from Notre Dame recently that you look at and say, boy, I don't care how much they're offering you. It's not that you left. That's my problem. It's how you mm-hmm. left. That's my problem. And you just see a lot of this really dirty stuff, but it, I more so blame the adults, right? I mean, most of the kids that are taking money, it's like, OK, I mean, at some point in time, as long as the kid didn't give somebody else's word and back out of it, right, dude, do what you got to do. Right. I mean, I don't love it. But just the shadiness of this business and just the fact that there's so many kids are making decisions about money and money alone, which means, yeah, maybe they get a payout, but their opportunity to potentially advance themselves in every other facet of life it has been diminished because some of these kids are going places where they're not going to be developed as, as, as young people, as football players. And at the end of the day, that's so much more important than giving them a stash of cash in their bank account. And I know in our society, it's like, no, 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 it's OK. You could be a scumbag and you could be barely you know, able to read and, you know, you could have no, you know, been developed no moral compass whatsoever. But as long as you got money, it's OK. That's absurd. Absurd. But that's kind of what it's turned into is well, as long as they're getting money. Who cares if these kids aren't getting an education? Who cares if these kids aren't developed? Who cares if these kids are doing this? Who cares if these kids are doing that? Oh, they're getting money so freaking what you know I just hate that that's kind of become the thing now and it just kind of makes it dirty it really does um, well,
2: it it, yeah. it gives you a deeper uh, it gives you a deeper appreciation though for how the staff has gone about things though right and the and the players that have stuck with Notre Dame throughout the process I mean I think that the the recruiting class that finishes up for Notre Dame you're going to be able to look at those players and this isn't taken away from the talents, right? Because they're all incredibly gifted. I mean, Notre Dame has a chance to sign the best class from a points perspective in two, four, seven sports era at 288 points right now, if they finish out the way they are. So they have a chance to put together their best class in that, in that era. And they've done it against everything you're talking about, Brian, against the money put, pulling and the NIL stuff and the pay for play and the improper benefits and However, you want to quantify this era that we're in right now, and the fact of the matter is, is who ends up in this class for Notre Dame? They are here because they see the bigger picture, right? Yep. The Drake Bowens, the Braylon James, the Jaden Greathouses, the Jeremiah Loves, Christian was, Grays.
1: Yeah, yes. I mean, we can go like, I mean, literally just go down the line and list every kid. I yep. mean.
2: And they and they get it, man. They do, and and it'll be fun tomorrow and Thursday because we'll be able to get a little more of the backstory. But several of the players I just named have been offered a lot of money, like oh, a yeah. lot, a lot of money. And well, and I, and I and, hope
1: the list includes Peyton Bowen and Jay Lamar tomorrow. Well, you know, we sure. have, we will we, we'll, will it. I don't know, you know, but I hope that it includes those guys as well, Ryan. So well, and and if it does include
2: those guys, they are added to the list of guys that see the bigger picture, right? And turn down big heaps of money because they know that the four for 40, the long-term is going to outweigh the money up front. That's what it's going to be. And right. again, that's, I think that's one of the great things about covering this recruitment class, right, Brian? Right. Cause you're right. I mean, there was a lot of frustrating things and it's of how the game's trending, but getting to know Don Schuller and a Don Shuler and Glenn James and Braylon James and Debbie Otting and, all these that's great the fun parents part. and that's
1: Jason that's it, Love yeah. and right. Yeah, all Jason these
2: guys, yeah. all those guys, and they they get it. So the parents get it, right. The kids get it, which is why they'll be successful at Notre Dame.
1: Right. I want to just bring this up. This is really funny. Lance Hab says, uh, so instead of being a Friday free-for-all, can we get a Wednesday whatever show? Yeah, that's kind of what it is, Wednesday whatever. We'll talk about whatever you guys want to talk about today, as long as it's related to college football. Uh, so, yes, very very well done. Also, I want to address this real quick from USMA eighty seven. He says, Rico Flores already signed. It was on the Sacramento area news last week. He wanted to do it when school was still in session. No, he didn't. So mm-hmm. him and his, some of his teammates, I believe, uh, but I know Rico signed a form basically doing his commitment, right? Like it's basically yeah. like I'm signing and I'm pledging that I'm going to sign with Notre Dame. He can't by law sign with Notre Dame already. Now there are kids that are already signed with schools for, to a degree, but it's kids who, whose schools are in the, I believe almost all those kids are on a quarter system. So the quarter's already begun. It's kind of like how it used to be when kids would early enroll before there was an early signing period. Technically, they were already signed, even though the window to officially sign had not opened. There are, um, I don't know what they are, I don't know if they're grants and eight, I don't know what the specific forms are, but they do sign documents to be that. So Rico basically just did what we used to do at the Vision 3 level. So when we would recruit kids who wanted to be part of like ceremonies with their high schools. You know, when kids are actually signing NILs, we would send them these forms, these commitment forms. Like I'm, you know, signing to play for or whatever. There was nothing binding about it. And mm-hmm. so he, he Notre Dame is not on that system. They're not in a quarter system, so he, he can't sign officially until tomorrow at 7 a.m. Pacific time, so 10 a.m. Uh, our our time, Eastern time. So uh, he basically was giving his word that he's going to do this as part of a ceremony, but it wasn't a binding. Wasn't a binding resolution. Right. Just want to make sure that, that that's under that's that's understood. We do have a couple super chats down here, Ryan. That I, I wanted to get to. We have one from Matt Matt Lass. This is hypothetically, if Peyton were to stick with what do you think uh, it does if anything for Notre Dame and the sort of fight against the NIL is sometimes used. I don't want to spend too much time on this, Ryan, because I want mm-hmm. to address it more tomorrow. But I will say this very emphatically. If, and we're not saying it's going to happen, our intel is not saying Notre Dame's going to get them. We're not saying that. I don't know if that's true or not. Right now, I don't know what to believe, to be completely Mm -hmm. honest with you. We're being told two completely different things by two completely different sides. I don't know what to believe. We have our intel up on the board. I'm just going to leave it there, and we'll find out tomorrow, right? Having said that, if Peyton decides to sign with Notre Dame tomorrow, Mm -hmm. I am quite confident In what we reported at Irish Breakdown last week about the 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 money he got, now is it off by a hundred thousand or two? Maybe, but it was around there. And and that uh, a school that was got that going is also a school that we had been told had made a similar offer to another Notre Dame commit earlier in the I think earlier in the in the month, right? So it tracked and then we got enough independent confirmation that I feel confident in saying that those offers are not off the table as far as I know, which means if Peyton signs tomorrow, it's because Peyton sat down and kind of got back to where he was before the last month got crazy. Right. Which is, yeah, money's nice. Right. And this could give me some really nice things in the future, but there's a reason I picked Notre Dame. depth chart related development related academic related uh developing himself as a young man related competing for championships related the relationship with mark with uh marcus freeman chris o'leary chad bowden all the things that made him not just be a commit but be a commit that was driving other kids to commit peyton bone was very influential in getting christian gray to commit and getting uh you know like like him and Drake Bowen had a really good relationship but remember Drake Bowen committed to Notre Dame like was it like a couple months before Christian Gr- mm-hmm. before before uh Peyton Bowen so mm-hmm. like they were both committed like very similar and, and they were leaders of this class for a long time and it would mean that that there are and and I believe this to be true it would be evidence of what I believe is true which is there are a lot of kids especially those who come from from families that that are more willing to look at their young that their son's future and not just maybe what the immediate can do for him and them, but say, I care more about my son being developed as a man than I do about my son loading up his bank account at eighteen years old right. and and there's a lot more kids out there than people think, and we have mm-hmm. a lot of examples of that in this Notre Dame class. and I wrote an article a week or two ago, Ryan, where I talked about this class has a chance. To be sort of that, that cultural change of, of you all keep saying it's, we're about the money. We didn't start this. We didn't make this rule. We aren't the ones that that are doing all this. Y'all created those rules. Y'all are the ones that that are doing NIO. Y'all are the ones that are refusing to to regulate it. Y'all are the ones that did the one-time transfer rule. And we're supposed to say, no, we're not going to take advantage of it. Because reasons, right? That's not on the kids, but there is a group of young men that are willing to say, you know what? We're not going to let them get us off course. Mm-hmm. They have enough foresight to say, we're not going to let the NCA's decisions and the nonsense that the College football has turned into to distract us from the real purpose here, mm-hmm. which is championship." Right, That's the first thing every Notre Dame commitment in this class talks about. Sam Pendleton talked about in the article we have an Irish breakdown. We are to coming here to win a championship. It used to be like that would be like the sixth or seventh thing that they would bring up and it'd be like, oh yeah, 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 by the way, we're also going to win a championship. That's like the first thing they all bring up now and it has been for months, for over a year. And and there's enough of those kids to say, if I go to Notre Dame and blah, 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 and do this and this and this, what it boils down to, Ryan, there's a lot more kids than people realize that are willing to bet on themselves Mm -hmm. and have enough confidence in themselves to know that a, even if I don't make it football wise going there means, yeah, I'll make that 200 million up a lot quicker than you realize, even if I don't play football, because I got that Notre Dame degree. Right. And, and that's, there's, there's just a lot more kids like that than people realize, which is why even if Notre Dame does lose Peyton Bowen, this is one of their best classes in 20 years. If they land Peyton Bowen, I'll argue that it's it's without question their best class in over 20 years in a lot of ways and I'll make that case if it happens. Mm-hmm. But it just it would go to show what it would say is if you if you have if you sell the plan effectively and you have the substance to back up the recruiting pitch which Notre Dame does mm-hmm. there's a lot more kids out there Ryan that are willing to say yeah I'm going to bet on myself because I believe that Passing up the short-term boost is, is going to be such a much more greater benefit down the road. Right. right. And you know, it's just, uh, there's enough, there's a lot of kids that get that more than, than others. And, and some kids understand that, but they still made another decision that wasn't NIO related. It was more football related and that's fine. That's mm-hmm. totally fine with that. But this class is unique in that regard. Yes. And, and, and if Peyton Bowen signs, it's because of that. It's because mm-hmm. of that class. It's because of that brotherhood. It's because of the goals that they have shared together about we're going to come to Narim we're going to change this thing. We're going to be the class that people look back on. Now, we're not doing it alone. The 2022 class is going to have a role. The 21 class is going to have a role. The 24 class is going to have a role. But we're going to be the foundation of that class that changed it. And we're going to be the foundation that it, while all the rest of college football is going crazy, we're going to be the class that says, this is what it's supposed to be about. And we're staying on track no matter what other craziness is happening. And if that class can win, Ryan, mm-hmm. it changes everything. Agree. Okay. And if Peyton Bowen comes to Notre Dame, and if a Jeremiah Love and if a Braylon James and guys that we we know were kids that were were had offers and they go to Notre Dame and they get their degrees and they become high draft picks and they do all those things it changes everything for Notre Dame, assuming the world is still as crazy as, as it is now by then. And that's why, honestly, Ryan, a lot of these schools don't want these kids going to Notre Dame because mm-hmm. they know if these kids find out that they can go to Notre Dame and it's still better for them than the immediate payouts, we're effed because now we have to start offering this kid so much money that, it, that we're not getting the return on our investment and then our donors are backing out and now we're really screwed. Mm-hmm. And that's why, if you ever wonder why do schools – fight so hard against Notre Dame. I've been saying this for years, Brian Smith and I've been saying this for years, Ryan, if like two schools that are rivals are in the final three for a kid and, and Notre Dame is also, They would both negatively recruit against Notre Dame. They would rather that kid go to their rival than to go to Notre Dame. And that's been true for a long time because some of these schools, especially in the Southeast and the Southwest are mortified of the idea of Notre Dame, proving that you can come to Notre Dame from Florida or Texas, or Louisiana, and have big-time success, because then it just opens up a pipeline, then there's just certain things that they can't compete with. And if they, if Notre Dame can show that you can come here and achieve financial success and academic success and play for a championship and be a high draft pick, what, what's your negative pitch then? You're left with the weather. That's it. <laughs> Yep. And that's hey, okay, fine. So are you, when you go to the NFL draft, you're going to say I, I can't be drafted by the Bills, the Broncos, the Packers, the Lions, the you know, the you know, all these the Steelers, the Ravens, the Browns, the Okay, cool. Go ahead and try that, right? But, you know, um that's what's on the line tomorrow and with this class in general over the next 3-4 years, right? And it may seem like a lot, but it's I truly believe it. I truly believe it to be the case. And it takes a special kind of young person to turn down that money. Because how many adults have said to us, Ryan? Well, I mean, if I was offered that money, if you were offered that kind of money, you'd take it too. Uh, okay, well, maybe. <laughs> but what I do know is these kids are not, and, and it's unique.
2: And, and they're bought in too, right? Like, the, I think that's that's the that's the tough part about this whole conversation is like, who had the number one class in the country last year, Brian? It's Texas A how did they do on the field this year? And I would argue, this is just my opinion, that some of that lack of productivity is based upon the, that there's not an incentive to really buy in, right? They're being bought to come play for your institution. So there's, I think that there is something to be said about the reasons you go to a school, the reasons you buy into a culture, the reasons you buy into a coaching staff and a vision will determine how hard you work right will determine how much you put yourself into the everyday of being the best version of yourself and there's no immediate payback to Notre Dame players as far as a you know a a, a handout early on in their career you know we know about the collectives and being able to capitalize on NIL during their Notre Dame career like money's not going to be an issue for Notre Dame but the point is is that the players that end up in the class for Notre Dame are there because they want to be and because they understand and that they bought in to the vision that was sold from the school, from an academic perspective, from an athletic perspective, from a coaching staff perspective, from a player perspective. Everything sold that to them. And those players, I have no worries about Sullivan Absher and Charles Jagasaw coming in day one and playing their butts off, man, and giving everything they have to a school. But to a player that is given multi-million dollars, might have a little bit of worry. You know, like that might be a kid that I would keep a little bit of a closer eye on to make sure that they're doing everything that they need to do on a day-to-day basis. That's the reality of it. So I think that for the overarching question, though, if Notre Dame is able to land Peyton Bowen after getting offered what he's been offered by multiple schools, that's a testament not only to Peyton, because he saw the bigger picture, which is incredible if that's what he decides. I mean, that's a very mature understanding. But it's also a testament that when Notre Dame was pushed in this direction, because these schools are offering something that Notre Dame is not going to offer. They're just not going to. And if they're able to push back and beat out multi-million-dollar offers, and that's not just a Peyton Bowen thing, right? That's other recruits that we'll talk about during this process. That tells – you just how authoritative how strong and how relentless this coaching staff and these players and these commits are man and there's something deeper than what they can write on a checkbook to these players there is a bond there is a belief and there is a vision that is something special I believe and that's why despite an eight and four season with a bowl game left to play and year one under Marcus Freeman I believe that they are going to achieve great things. Cause if they're doing this with everything that they have to fight against, I think it's going to work out because I think that these players are all going to be bought in. They're breeding a culture, not just a football team. And it's a Testament to the coaches and the support staff and everybody involved in this recruitment. Cause if they're able to land a player like Peyton Bowen, despite all the things going against them, that just shows you how relentless this staff is. So that's the biggest thing for me is that they, could have backed away and been like, can't compete with that. Can't offer you that. Can't compete. But they did. They put their head down. And they're like, nope, we're not, we're not letting this, we're not going out like this. You know, if we're gonna go out, we're gonna go out fighting to the end. And he's they've made Peyton think, right? This coaches, the commits, support staff, they've all have made him think, which is why this is a difficult decision. So I applaud the coaches, whether Peyton Bowen ends up in the class or not. But I will not lie and say that if they do maintain Peyton Bowen in this class, that's a testament to how strong this coaching staff and this culture is that Notre Dame breeding.
1: I want to respond to this question because I feel like if you've been watching this channel and you're asking this question, I just don't know if you're listening to us. So I don't know why I should answer it again, but I'll give it a whirl. David Lowe says, how can you confidently say it is one of the best classes in 20 years if it hypothetically finishes 10 to 12? A, it's not going to finish 10 to 12. B, I don't give a crap if it finishes 10 to 12. How many times do I got to say this? I don't care about recruiting rankings. I don't. Now, I may be wrong, but I don't care. That's not new. A points-based system that evaluates recruiting success is for fun. It mm-hmm. means nothing. People say, well, that's not true because Alabama, okay, go back and trace how these Alabama kids get ranked. I pointed it out last year, and we could do this every single year. When Alabama starts getting on a kid, they're ranking skyrocket. Yep, It's a fact. When Georgia gets on a kid now, ranking skyrocket, just a fact, right? I mean, it, wh- why? Well, whatever. We'll get into reasons why, uh, or I'm not going to get into reasons why because it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. But the point is this even if they lost Peyton Bowen, right? Because I said it's with with him, it's without question, right? But even without him, where are the points that go into a class for meeting needs? This was exactly my issue with the A&M class last year. It was loaded with elite players at like three or four positions. Receiver, D-line, secondary, and I loved their quarterback. I think Connor Wegman's going to be a really good player. Loves him mm-hmm. coming out. Everywhere else, it was just, eh, okay. That, like, one linebacker. Like, you literally could not put a starting 11 on the field with that class last year. How yeah. can you tell me that's the greatest class ever? And if you looked at AM's recruiting in years before, there were positions that came up short that they needed to have kids, right? And so if, you're, if your recruiting rankings are just simply numbers-based, and, and I pointed this out. If you're ranked number 32 in rivals, you're a five-star. And if you're ranked number 33, you're a four-star. There's a significant points difference between the guy ranked number 32 and the guy ranked number 33. Why, why should I care about that? Why should I think that's a proper way of evaluating kids, right? So I, first of all, I don't see their class finishing 10 to 12. And if it does, I don't care. I've never cared. I don't know why people that have watched this show as long as people like David have keep asking me about that. I don't care. How many top number one classes did Clemson have during their run? How many top five classes did Clemson have during their run? I think maybe one. I don't -hmm. think it was any. I think their highest ranked class was like seventh. I think the Trevor Lawrence class finished outside the top ten, if I remember correctly. That's Their, Their first top three recruiting class was part of a class, was the class that has overseen their recent demise. So remember when Florida landed the number one class of culture, and they were getting like Ronald Powell, and they're getting all these elite players, and Dominic Early, and they had this great class, and their team imploded when that class showed up. I don't care. I I just do not care. So I could be wrong. And, and look, that's part of the risk you run when you when you do what we do, is you put your opinion out there. You're going to be wrong sometimes. And the more you're wrong, the less credibility you have. But this is the reality. I've always felt this way. We we ripped apart that AM class last year. And what did we also say? Let's see how many guys are left in that class a year from now. We said that on Sunday Day last year. And now look yeah. at it, <laughs> right? So I don't care. I don't care about recruiting rankings. I'm going to look at a class and say, Did this class add impact talent? Did it add impact talent at positions where it was needed uh, for Notre Dame's specific roster? Did it add impact talent at positions that are needed to be successful in college football? Uh, Did it add depth? Did it it have balance? There's all those things that go into a great recruiting class, and those are the things that matter. Not I signed eight defensive linemen who all had super high rankings, which drove up our points-based system, when in reality any – person with a brain that knows football could look at that class and say boy there's some special dudes in that class but who's gonna play will linebacker Anthony Who, Lucas who's gonna block pounds. for the for these quarterbacks and these receivers like who's gonna cover that these guys you know what I mean like it's just one of those things where it's like that matters more to me and that's why there's no perfect system but I always felt the recruiting rankings that went into it before this way were better because at least there was some level of attempted analysis at those classes. You know, that's what I like about ES- I mean, this is going to sound crazy, but that's what I like about ESPN's rankings. They don't have a points-based recruiting ranking system. They look at it subjectively and mm-hmm. say, or objectively, I should say, and say, okay, what what do we think this class added? And, mm-hmm. and sort of make a rankings basis off of that. That's flawed. But I feel like at least there you can address some of the things like, okay, did you meet all your needs? Okay. Yeah. You signed a bunch of top hundred guys, but you didn't sign a quarterback for the second year in a row. That's kind of a problem, right? (laughs) You know, you haven't signed a cornerback worth a darn. So you end up like with Clemson, who's had some really highly ranked recruiting classes in recent years. They can't cover anybody. Right. I mean, so I just, David, I get where you're coming from and I understand why some people are focused on recruiting rankings because They don't do what we do. They're not trained. They don't have the thousands and thousands of hours of experience because they have jobs where they got to go to work every day and they've got wife and kids to come home to and they don't have time to just sit in front of a computer all day and get paid to watch film and break down film. Totally respect that. Totally respect that. And you don't have to agree with me on my evaluation. But all I'm saying is, is don't just have that rank your response be, well, how can you say this if it's going to be ranked there? Ask me this, well, what is it about this class that makes you think that? And I'll tell you. But if your counter is simply just something about rankings, then I just don't care. And if your <laughs> response will be, "Well, Alabama does this," is are the are the kids ranked? Because are the is Bama's success because they got highly ranked kids, or a lot of the kids that Bama has recruited highly ranked because they went to Alabama? That'll be my question.
2: I mean, we've seen a we've seen a couple good players Alabama is signing this year that are
1: probably overrated, right? Overrated. Overranked, so, Like, have you seen ESPN's rankings? I try not to. Like, their top 300, it's absurd, man. Like, yeah. I think Alabama has something. It, it's just, I was looking at the other day, and I just, I couldn't help but laugh. I was like, all right, man. Like, I, I like how they, like I said, I like how they do the, the, when I say I like the rankings, it's not that they're actual ranking that I like. It's more so, the process is a process that I like better, but you go look at their class rankings and it, it's just, it's kind of comical to look at their top 300. I'm, I'm going to pull it up now, Ryan. It's, it's really, it's really funny. Cause it's like, like almost every kid on there is like an Alabama commit. So if you look at their top 30, it's let's see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, um, eight of the top 30, eight of the top, 28 players are Bama kids and another one see here Uh see one yeah eight three I mean it's like Bama Bama Georgia right it's just like okay come on man and I'm looking through these rankings and I'm like that guy's ranked there come on man what, what are we doing here like Quay Rousseau the kid from Alabama I've, I mm-hmm. like that kid he's in my top 100 seventh player in the country Jackson Arnold eighth Peter Woods, ninth. It's like, come on now. What are we doing here? Makai Lemon, 13th. Have you seen Makai Lemon's film? He's I a have. borderline top 100 kid for me. I like him. He's a good player. Good player top yep. 15 player nationally. So there's just so much just absurdity with a lot of this. And, and they have Keon Keeley, 20th, which is like... <laughs> come on, man. No. You could maybe make a case for a quarterback being ahead of Keon simply from the standpoint of, of the positional need type of thing. Sure. But I'm sorry. I don't think there's two football players in the country better than Keon Keeley, much less 19. <laughs> so, you know, so it's just some of this. Justice Haynes, 21st in the country. Eli Holstein, 20. Eli Holstein wouldn't be in my top 200, much less number 22. You've seen his film, right, Ryan? Mm-hmm. I'm like, is that kid if that kid would have made the decision to commit the Vanderbilt, is he ranked 22nd? No. No. Nope. He's not. It's just a fact. So I just that's why I say I just don't, I don't, I just don't care. I don't care what their the rankings are. We'll we'll see how it plays out. We'll see how it plays out. But uh I do. I do like the fact that David's always asking questions like this because he's willing to stand up and push back against things. And I do appreciate that. I actually do. It may not seem like a David, but I, I do. Tommy Gunn says, rank these receivers, rank the receivers in these categories, top end speed, burst and shiftiness. So I assume he's talking about the Notre Dame commits. So let's yep. take them one at a time. One to four top mm-hmm. end speed. So the four commits are Braylon James, Jaden Greathouse, Rico Flores, and Caleb Smith. So let's go top end speed. Number one. Braylon James. Agree. Number two. Caleb Smith. Agree. Number three. Rico Flores. Mm -hmm. And then Greathouse four. Greathouse. We agree. Burst. So to me, top end speed for me is mm -hmm. your acceleration, your second gear, your take the top off of a defense. Right, burst is more of the initial boom yep. out of the gate thing. Okay, just so people understand. So, burst number one is who? Who would that be, Ryan?
2: This one might surprise you, Brian, but I also think that's Braylon James. I think he's stupid, explosive off the mm-hmm. line. Really, explosive I agree. Off the line. Yep.
1: My honestly, my ranking for this one is the exact same as it is. <laughs> I think it
2: is too. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's one. So I'm just give you a heads up on that. Um, yep. Not always the case because Will Fuller was not a crazy explosive off the line guy. Will Fuller was insane. Like, once he got three or four steps, it was like, okay, oh, wow. You know, but sometimes he needed a little few steps to build up speed. Other guys just come off the line just fast. That's, from,
2: that's, that's like some sprinters versus Usain Bolt. Like, there's a lot of sprinters that can beat Usain Bolt in the 50 yard dash, but then mm-hmm. once it gets to about 75 yeah. plus, it's like, yep, he's out. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> like, oh, nothing left. You know, he's got that kick, you know?
1: So. You'll, and you'll see some of those shorter guys are really great out of the blocks, too. You know, because yeah. they can take like three steps for every one and a half or two for me. That's if I'm longer.
2: Yeah. And that's what makes Braylon James so intriguing to me, Brian, is that usually longer guys are more of those built up speed guys. But I mean, the, I think the first thing we, when we ever talked about him was I was like, wow, this kid is explosive off the line. Like out of his stance, he gets on top of dudes in a hurry. And then he has the four, four, seven ish speed somewhere in that ballpark. So I think that's what makes him really intriguing outside the length that he has is the fact that he is explosive off the line and he has the top end speed. So he's got kind of the best of both worlds in that regard.
1: Right. Shiftiness. This is an interesting one. I'm So we, we're on the same page. You and I have the same ranking for the first two. Let's mm-hmm. see if this one changes because I have a feeling this one might be different. So number one in shiftiness in this class. Caleb Smith. Okay. Number two. Shh see that that becomes a
2: little tough i i mm-hmm. guess i would go rico flores but it's not like yeah. a rico with an exclamation
1: point for me okay who's number three braylon james okay who's number four jaden greathouse it's interesting so here's my shiftiness ranking mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. caleb mm-hmm. smith now isn't it interesting that caleb smith was two two and one in these three yeah. categories i just want to mm-hmm. point that out for people uh, it, cause I've had people tell me down in Texas that there's people in Texas that think he's going to be the best receiver in his class. And I've talked to some other people that are national people that have said, don't be shocked if Rico Flores is the best receiver in his class. Now it's not, these are not people that are necessarily down on James and great house. It's just, that's how good this class is. Number one for me, Caleb Smith. Number two for me, Jaden Greathouse. Interesting. Number three for me is would be Braylon James. And number four would be Rico Flores. Uh, I don't think Rico's a super shifty kid. I think he's more of a vertical route runner type of guy. I actually think Jaden Greathouse is really shifty, really shifty. I just don't think he's traditionally shifty. Like, right. I think he's one of the harder guys to tackle that they're going oh, to No, And doubt. it's not just because he's like Michael Floyd, he just runs you over. I think there's some shiftiness to his game that is is masked by how big he is and And me having Rico fourth says a lot about this class because Rico is by no means a stiff at all. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it, that's what's unique about this class, Ryan right? is, is and that's why I think this is such a great receiver class because they all have a little bit of all these traits. Mm-hmm. And the fourth guy in this year's class would be in the top two in a lot of other receiver classes when it comes to shiftiness when I, for me when I talk about Rico. So that's what makes it uh, makes it really fascinating. And-
2: and can we put this out here, Brian? I mean, I had Jaden Greathouse at number four in all of those rankings, and he's still probably my favorite receiver in this yes. class because he because yeah. of all the
1: other stuff he does. So here's it so like here's it, like my favorite defensive commit is Jaden Osbury. Mm-hmm. I don't have him ranked as the best. For sure. you, is Greathouse when you say favorite, do you mean he's the best or favorite? I I don't think he has the highest
2: ceiling, but I think he's the best football player right now. I do. Yeah. Like Braylon James could definitely be better
1: than Jaden Greathouse long term. Caleb
2: Smith and his role maybe could be better. I would argue
1: all three of the other receivers have a higher ceiling than Jaden Greathouse. I just think there's a long way to go before they get to their floor of what Jaden Greathouse is Greathouse is. I I agree. Like I, I
2: I feel like and I know there's some questions about, you know, first year contributors at some point in this podcast. And I mean for me, like I I know what Jaden's gonna be the minute he steps on campus, in my opinion, and it's gonna be a really good football player. Like that's just the point blank to it, you know. So, I think right now he is the best player out of the wide receivers in the class. Not mm-hmm. not as high as the ceiling, but he's the best football player, no doubt.
1: Tommy has another question here, and it's which 2023 recruit will end up declaring first for the draft? Okay, I don't know who it's gonna be, but I'm gonna tell you who I hope it is. Uh huh. Right uh so offensively i hope that it's it's um one of the receivers Mm -hmm. right because that means they came in and they dominated in their stars and it also means if the receivers are playing great it means the quarterbacks are playing really well and it means the offense is scoring a lot of points that's what it means okay Mm -hmm. defensively my hope my hope for who's who leaves early is one of two people peyton bowen Hope, which means he would stay in the class. And if it's not Peyton Bowen, my number two hope, you're going to get a kick out of this, Ryan, it's Bubakar Traori. Because if mm-hmm. the light goes on for Bubakar, he yeah. could be a star. He sure. is a significantly better high school version of Adi Takumba Ogandiji, meaning very raw, very toolsy. It's just that Bubakar is going to show up to college as big as Adi was as a senior in college. That's right. the difference. So if the light goes on for, for him, he could be a three and done guy. I don't think that's the case. I'm not mm-hmm. predicting it because I would never, be, with, with, well, I would rarely ever say, like Keon, I would have said, no, nah, predict Keon's going to be a three and done. But I just, it's a rare thing. I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's going to happen, Ryan, but I'm saying that's my hope because if 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 that happens it it probably means this kid the light goes on really quickly and all the all that tools that you and I love and drew over with Mubakar turn into production in a hurry and he's a right. 3 year guy.
2: Yeah, I mean Peyton Bowen was the first one that popped in my mind as far as the defense because I just think that he has that profile, right? Like it makes it would make sense that he's that guy. Another guy I thought about, and this is a little bit off the radar, I guess, is Micah Bell, just because I think Micah Bell is, whenever he comes out, is going to turn heads at the combine, man. Mm-hmm. Like the, can you imagine this show that Micah Bell is going to put on? Because I think one thing we don't talk about with Bell is, yeah, straight light speed is stupid, like we know that. But he's also a 24-plus foot long jumper. Like He's going to jump out of the gym. He's going to run fast. So if he's a kid that maybe can get a little traction early and then he's going to test to that degree – Maybe he's a guy that flirts with it. I don't. I don't know. Like again, this is a lot of projection. <laughs> Offensively, Charles Jagasaw was the one that popped in my head, but doesn't Charles just seem like a guy that would stay four years yep. just because he's that type of dude? So and he's just but, too close to his degree. Yeah, exactly. But he, in my mind, though, I'm like 2024. Maybe he's got the inside track after Walt leaves to be in the starting left tackle. And Jeremiah loves thirds. another
1: one that I thought about too.
2: It's a good one. Jeremiah loves good just because the nature running of running back backs. position. Yeah. yeah. Running back positions big time, no doubt about it. But I mean, Charles was one I was thought about, but then I came back to wide receiver. You know, whoever that is, is that Braylon James? Is it Jaden Greyhouse? I don't know. But regardless, if a guy is good enough to leave as a junior or a third year player at the wide receiver position, that's showing you that the wide receiver group is starting to trend in the right direction. So I think we're on the same page on that end, the side of the football.
1: Good stuff. Let's get to this next question here. Really, really good stuff coming here, everybody. Benjamin Karchi says, which 23 recruit do you think can have an immediate impact on the Irish roster? Uh, Just I would imagine it's going to be more than just one guy. But Ryan, if you had to pick one guy of the Uh guys that are currently in the class Mm -hmm. who pick one on because I kind of like doing it that way. One on offense, one on defense. So pick one on offense, one on defense. Do you think I have? the most immediate impact based on who's in the class. Cause like, look, we could guys, we could sit there and say, we're not going to count Peyton Bowen. The reality is he is not decommitted. Yeah. And, and I don't think he has, you know, I'll just leave it. He hasn't decommitted. Now. I don't think I'll say this. There's a lot of talk about in the chat about, well, he hasn't decommitted yet. He hasn't decommitted yet. I don't think he will. And that doesn't mean that I'm guaranteeing he's in. I'm saying is I don't think he's going to decommit at this point. I think if he's going to pick Oklahoma, he's just going to sign with Oklahoma Mm-hmm. And just do that. I don't think there's going to be a formal decommitment because I don't think he wants to tell either. I don't think he wants to tell either side that he's not going there. I think I, I you know, now he's going to make a decision. And for all we know, he made a decision a while ago. I don't know the answer. He just doesn't want to tell the other side. And that's why I'm really reserved on saying too much about this. Cause I, I think the Peyton has a great relationship with both staffs. Mm-hmm. He has people he cares about going to both schools. I just don't think he wants to tell that that group of people no until he just has to. And so, no, I don't expect a formal decommitment from him. It could happen, but I don't expect it. I think if he's going to pick Oklahoma, he'll just sign with Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I think he'll tell the Notre Dame staff, and we might get word of it, or he may tell the Oklahoma staff, and then they'll definitely get word of it because they'll tell people. But um, I, I don't think he's going to decommit. So until that moment happens, he's – Committed to Notre Dame, I believe Ryan uh, on his on his uh, Twitter page he still has himself listed as a Notre Dame commit. Yes. Correct? Yep. So yeah. Uh, yeah, committed to the University of Notre Dame. So mm-hmm. uh, we're going to talk about him today, like he's still in the class. And I don't want to be disrespectful and and say he's not. You know, Jaden Lamar is a different story because once he visited Oregon, that was his unofficial way of decommitting. That's what Notre Dame told him. Look, we're, you're you're decommitted if you go to that class, if you go on that visit. And he went on a visit. That's a different situation. Peyton never went on an official visit anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, oh, I just oh, wanted oh. to set that premise for yes. this answer and then a lot of the other answers about 23. The reason – I don't want to just say, no, we're not going to talk about Peyton Bowen. Right.
2: We're grown Why? Well, I, I mean, and he's – defensively, he's the easy answer, right? I mean, like, could you convince me that a corner maybe gets into the – into the you know a little bit of a rotation sure could it be another safety that gets into rotation as well possibly a defensive yeah. lineman maybe that gets could into be that Devin, conversation Houston, Brennan Vernon yeah right I mean Uba yeah Carr, I think yeah. all those I think all those guys have the possibility but I think Peyton's the clearest one because you do need an influx and an injection of playmaking ability at the safety position you need that right and Peyton Bowen is a Five star recruit. He's a top 20 player nationally. So he is a kid that I believe will come in and will make an impact if he if he signs with Notre Dame. Like that's the point blank period to it. So I think that's the easy answer. Offensively, pick your wide receiver. I'm gonna pick Jaden Greathouse because that's again, I think that he's the most college ready player today to come in and be that guy. But I could see Braylon James having a role. I could see Rico Flores having a role. I could see Caleb Smith having a role. I could see all those guys having a role. I think the wild card, honestly, Brian, and it, he's not an early enrollee, so it's going to be tougher. But, I mean, Charles Jagasaw has an opportunity. There's a couple of guard spots that are open, man. And could he be that guy that plays a lot of guard early on in his career and then transitions to tackle as guys graduate? Like, I don't think that it's unrealistic I think that could happen.
1: It's funny, you know, we, we talked about this last year and we were like, you know, hey, I don't, you know, because he wasn't an early enrollee, I'm not sure if Benjamin Moore. And, and I think we kind of fell victim to that whole mantra. It was our sort of conditioning. We like to think of ourselves as better than that. We're better than the people that have allowed themselves to be conditioned by Brian Kelly and the early enrollee thing. And then Marcus Freeman, to a degree, had talked a lot about, well, he's not an early enrollee. and But who was the best freshman that Dame had this year? kid who was not an early enrollee, right? And the corner who struggled this year was the kid who was here all camp, all, you know, all spring. Sure. And, and so you, you look at that, and it, it is kind of funny how that how that ended up panning mm-hmm. out, you know, how the best freshman they had was not a kid that was on campus all year. And mm-hmm. so, um, but lineman is a tad different. So when you said yes. he's not early, I kind of chuckled, and I was like, okay, let's see where he goes with this one. Lineman's a little bit different. It because is. yeah that, that there's just so much more technical work involved in that than there is mm-hmm. in others so yep.
2: and, yeah. and he would also in this conversation charles would also be playing a position he's never played before right? right he's been a right tackle he's been a left tackle he hasn't played guard so it would be a completely new
1: nuance to play in that position if he yep. did make that transition yep fascinating question here ryan from Indy estimate trucking llc that's hilarious by the way Uh, In your opinion, does paying recruits with NIL the way they are being paid before they even play a game, hinder the development or desire in some situations? Or could you see that being an issue? Absolutely. Absolutely. I talked
2: talked about that with the Texas A&M thing last year, right? And I, I think that I do think that it can be a hindrance. Is it always going to be the case? Not necessarily. But I do think that there is something to be said about if a player gets that and again, I hate it. I hate that we call everything nil in this bucket, right? Because this isn't nil. This is pay for right. play. Correct. We're really talk about this is improper benefits. This is not nil. But when a player gets upfront money, I do think in some instances, and this isn't just high school recruits, college players. This is NFL players too. When you get a big payday, sometimes guys pack it in a little bit and they don't work as hard. That's just the, I mean th- we've seen it like. Albert Haynesworth, when he signed with the then Washington Redskins, right? He was a dominant player the year before Tennessee. He gets that big payday. He packed it in. He didn't work mm-hmm. hard anymore. And I think that that stuff happens. It's happened college wise. It's happened NFL wise. I mean, Jadavion Clowney, his last year at South Carolina, he knew that he was having a big. He was a big payday was coming. Don't think he worked as hard. I mean, that's just my opinion. I watched him play, and I just think that he took some plays off. So I think that it absolutely can help hurt the developments. Definitely the desire. No doubt about that, because if a guy has two mil, let's say, or three mil or whatever mil in their back pocket, they know that there's, you know, they have something to fall back on. They don't have to put out everything because it's not a do or you don't succeed situation anymore. You have that money in your back pocket already. So the NFL isn't the end all be all for some players at that point. So I do think that that has a... Factor into this, and I think it can be a deterrence for some players to hit their potential and to be as advantageous and as aggressive as they are from their development perspective and be trying to get to the best possible results, because I think that it does make people complacent at times. And so I think money does a lot.
1: Yep. Let me give you something fascinating here, Ryan, for recruiting rankings. Debate. From 2010 to 2019, a span of 10 years, 10 classes, Notre Dame had a higher ranked class than Clemson seven times. The years that Clemson had a higher ranked class were, let's see here, 2015 was the first time that Clemson had a higher ranked class during that stretch. That meant The kids that were on that team that went and played for a title that beat Notre Dame were Mm -hmm. all freshmen. Deshaun. Mm -hmm. So I said earlier that Trevor Lawrence's class was not top ten. Their class was seventh. It was Deshaun Watson's class that was ranked sixteenth. Sixteenth. The other years were two thousand and sixteen, and then I'm sorry, did I get that wrong? So higher, 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 higher. Notre Dame was higher. I'm sorry. Oh, the other one was 2018, that mm-hmm. freshman class with Trevor Lawrence. But in the years that Notre Dame ranked lower, it was always close. Not In 15, Clemson was 9, Notre Dame was 13. In 16, Clemson was 11, Notre Dame was 15. And in 18, Clemson was 7, and Notre Dame was 10. There were years that Notre Dame was significantly higher than Clemson. In 2013, Notre Dame's class ranked 5th, Clemson's class ranked 15th. Now, if you take out Eddie Vanderdos, Notre Dame maybe drops a spot or two. And actually, no, 24-7 already took Vanderdose out because they were third with Vanderdose. So taking out Vanderdose drops into fifth. Fifth to 15th, 11 to 16 in 2014, 10 to 16 in 2017. uh, And then, uh, oh, sorry, Clemson also finished higher four times. I'm sorry. The 19 class also was higher. Point being, Notre Dame, up until the time that Clemson started dominating, Notre Dame had better ranked recruiting classes than them, Every single year, with the exception of the freshman class in 2015, everyone. And that was a gap between nine and 13. And so, again, evidence that recruiting rankings don't Clemson never finished higher than fifth prior to 2019. Never, no, I'm sorry, never finished higher than seventh. They had already won a title and played for another before their highest ranked class in a decade showed up. That was the Trevor Lawrence class. They had to win a title and play for another before they could get a class to finish that high. Notre Dame during that period of time had a five and a nine. So Clemson had one, two, three, four top 10 classes in that 10-year period. Notre Dame had one, two, three, four top 10 classes during that period. Notre Dame had a higher ranked class in Clemson six out of those 10 years. And the first five, all of them. It wasn't until after Clemson won. And this was true at Alabama to a degree as well, which we was talking about. It wasn't until after Alabama started to win that they started to really dominate recruiting. Like that first class in like 08, when they had that really nice Sugar Bowl run, that was a really good class. And then they started recruiting well. But like the majority of the veterans on their team, that won in 09, came from much lower ranked classes. They were low-star kids. Eric Anders was like a two-star uh Corey, what was the kid's name? Corey Romer was the other kid. He was a two-star. I think uh Javier Arenas and Cream Jackson, one was a two-star, one was a three-star. Uh, they had a lot of kids like that. Brandon Diedrich was a very low-ranked kid. Um, so they had a lot of kids like that on that roster. Greg McElroy was not exactly a high name recruit. Mark Ingram wasn't exactly like Trent Richardson as a recruit, even though he went won the high won their first Heisman ever. He wasn't a top 25 kind of guy. Yeah, like you had you had those guys, the Julio Joneses and the players like that, but they didn't dominate the roster they did in later years. It, you know, and now that would have changed because back then they would have just bumped the rankings up, you know, once mm-hmm. those kids committed to Bama. But uh I just want to kind of point that out and and make that argument that or make to back up the argument like this isn't just me talking out of my, you know, what. I I may be, but like my opinion comes from Analysis. It comes from having observed this over the years and seeing kids all of a sudden just skyrocket and other kids fall when there's no new data. Like Brendan Vernon is a perfect example. Months <laughs> went by and his his stock just plummeted, but there was he did nothing. There was no camps he was at. There was no film, new film. There was nothing new to cause him to drop 60, 70, 80 spots. The only thing that changed about Brendan Vernon was he committed to Notre Dame. That's yep. it. That's it. And then you see these other kids skyrocket up the rankings and you're like, based on what did you just now watch this film? And if that's true, why did you have him ranked somewhere in the first place? All that's changed is he's committed to Georgia or Ohio state or, uh, you know, Alabama or whatever. There's no new, there's no new data to back up you moving this kid. None. Or how about, how about
2: you? Drake Bowen continues to drop in rankings and he just won the buckets award.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. Has a monster year and and drops. Jaden Osbury yeah. goes toe to toe with with uh, Arch Manning, dominates him, best punt in the field that day, and then drops in the rankings of the. You know, it's just like okay, whatever. I mean, it's like there's just no there's no method or madness, and that's why I, I've I just don't care. It's it's mm-hmm. a it's an entertainment thing now. It's not a real. It's not there's far too. Many, and then I just heard. Wait till you guys hear the announcement of who's going to be running two scouting department moving forward oh no that's going to be fun uh it's so it's going to be hilarious i'll tell you after the show Ryan, because i don't oh, know great. if it's public or not yet but it's hilarious absolutely hilarious so anyway
2: i think i have a guess already but yeah i can't wait to hear that's not who you
1: think it is yeah but we'll, no. we'll, we'll discuss it yeah lance hab says how many of the expected signees are going to be early enrollees and here for spring practice so that would uh, be in, in excluding Peyton Bowen, although I still hope he's in the class. Well, I mean, look, as we said, we're going to still count him in the class until he's not in the class anymore. Yep. Uh, but Kenny Minchie will be, mm-hmm. is an early enrollee. Yep. Jeremiah Love is not. He's not. Of the wide receivers, I believe three of the four. I think the only one that is not is Caleb Smith.
2: Caleb Smith is not, correct. Right. Cooper, Cooper Flanagan, Flanagan is not. not.
1: Right. Yep. Uh, the only Pendleton. He's the only offensive lineman, I believe, That's correct. That will be an early enrollee. Yep. Uh, Defensive line-wise, I think Devin Houston is the only defensive lineman that will be an early enrollee. Mm -hmm. And I confirmed with him last night that he'll be an early enrollee. Uh, All three of the linebackers are going to be early enrollees. And then Mm -hmm. uh, four of the five DBs will be early enrollees. The only DB that I don't believe is going to be enrolled early is Micah Bell. Correct. So that is the list of early enrollees. Correct, Ryan? I think we have that right. You got it. All right.
2: Good one. Uh, and no Brandon Hellman, right? I don't believe he is. And no, I don't one. believe
1: he is either. No. Yeah, I don't believe he is either. I always forget about him because he's just like in his yes. own category. You yes. Know? <laughs> yes, because I'm going position by position. And it's like, oh, yeah. So, like, last night, Angel was making the card. She's like, okay, do I have all the position groups in there? And I'm like, yeah, quarterback. Yeah, you got them all. And then, like, she's like halfway through, and I'm like, oh, by the way, I need you to add a new one, A-T-H. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, it's like, okay.
2: He he makes it tough to do all those like rank positions and stuff. I'm like, uh, I guess I can include Hillman in running back or sure.
1: safety or sure. rover or sure. wherever. Get back to me in a couple <laughs> of years, and I'll let you know how the grades are. Exactly, because we'll find out where Brandon Hillman ends up. Um, I you know, the, I go. I literally change my mind every day. There's some days, man, I really love him as a downhill safety. And other days, I'm like, I love this kid at Rover. And other days, I'm like, man, I'd really like to give this kid a shot at receiver. And Man, this this kid might be a running back. I just – I literally really? change my mind every day. The one thing that doesn't change my mind, I want that kid running down on kickoffs and punts every single oh. game he plays in at Notre Dame. I think we
2: talked about that yesterday on the Recruiting Hour. But, I mean, he is going to be – he's going to be Brian Mason's best friend very early in his career, in my opinion, mm-hmm. as a coverage unit guy. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Yeah. All right, here we go. Benjamin McCarthy also asks, who is your breakout player for offense, defense, and special teams in the bowl game and next season? So next season, we'll get to that down the road, Benjamin. There's a lot we have to see first between now and then. But mm-hmm. let's go uh, bowl play bowl game, Ryan. Who do you see as a breakout player for Notre Dame on s- offense, defense, and special teams?
2: Yeah, I mean, offense, I've been – I've said this one a couple times but I'm going to stick with it, is Holden Stace, I think, is a kid that has an opportunity to – do some good stuff in the bowl game. You know, him and Mitchell Evans are the two, only two healthy tight ends on the roster right now. So I think he's going to get increased level of opportunity. Defensively, Brian, I've kind of gone back and forth on this one. I'm actually going to go with Jordan Patelho. I think he's a guy that I think if he gets opportunities, I mean, he's had some production when he's had opportunities. Obviously he's a very gifted football player. And I anticipate without Isaiah Foskey in, you know, in this game, at Jordan's going to get opportunities at Viper, right? And I think he has the athleticism where he can take advantage and have opportunities against that offensive line that is not the most quick-footed of all time in South Carolina. So give me Jordan Botello on defense. Give me Holden Stace on offense. Special teams-wise, that's a tough one. I mean, are we going to see somebody different? I mean, that's my biggest, like, are we going to see somebody different? I mean, we're going to see the same kicker. We're going to see the same punter, same long snapper, Returners should stay relatively the same. So,
1: Chris I, I Tiger is taking a kickback to the. No, I'm just joking. Exactly. That would shock me against a Shane Beamer coach special teams unit. But yeah. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. So, I, I don't, I guess it's a cop out. But yeah, I don't every, really everybody already,
1: already kind of broke out already on special teams. <laughs> exactly. For real, though.
2: Yeah. I guess it's a, whoever's the next guy to block a punt because we've had sure. who? We've had Patelho, Kaiser, Fosky. So, and um, Prince Kali blocked one. Prince Kali blocked one too. Another
1: one he scooped and scored. So, yeah. Right.
2: So, we'll say, you know, uh, whoever the
1: next guy is to block a punt. I don't know who that's going to be. So, Ty- Tyler has a great response here. Ryan said, Brian likes something from ESPN. Hell froze over. <laughs> very, very, very true. It's very true. Very, very true. Here's a good one from DMND13. He says, uh, actually, uh, yes, let's answer this one. Then I forgot there's a super chat down there that I want to get mm-hmm. to. Who are the position coaches that you trust the most on the evaluations of recruits? I think I'd have to say Mickens and stand, followed by McCullough and O'Leary. Can I just say this real quick? Yep. The depth of which this answer will be given as far as number of coaches is so much better today than it was three years ago. Sure. Seriously, like even Clark Lee, I didn't trust in evaluations. He First of all, because he relied too much on other people. And I felt like he, he was way too focused on traits and not nearly as focused enough on can this kid play football or not. And so um, great coach, but not a great evaluator and a, an OK recruiter. But yeah, so it's a much longer list, right? So let's go offense yeah. first who are the coaches that you look at right now and say, man, I really trust that guy's evaluations.
2: Well, I mean, it, I think a lot of these questions about trust comes from a sample size, right? So, I mean, Chancey Stucky's starting to win me over, but I've only seen it for one cycle, for instance. Right. I mean, I think that for me, it's gotta be Harry, he right? Like that's the guy immediately that you say, that's the guy. So, I mean, offensively, right. I would say Harry, he stand, and then, Dylan McCullough would probably be second for me as far, because those guys have track records, you know, they've been around, you've seen him recruit at a high level, you've seen him develop as well. I mean, you've seen Dela McCullough find a kid like a Tevin Coleman, for instance, right? And then tear, turn him from a three-star into one of the best running backs in college football. So I think I would go with Harry Heastand, followed by Dylan McCullough offensively.
1: Uh, hard to argue with that on mm-hmm. offense. I will say this. It's Jared Parker is, and as a, I can't answer that one. Like yeah. unf- he showed up and it was kind of like, well, they already had their 2023 tight end figured out. I will mm-hmm. say this finding Carter Nelson and, 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 you know, was an interesting one. And, but I, I just need to see him go through a full cycle first before I uh, can comment on him. Definitely. I was pleasantly surprised with the evaluations of Chansey Stuckey this year, mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. with who they're getting, But there were some other things that I heard behind the scenes about who he liked better than other guys. I'm like, okay, I kind of like that. Like he wasn't going with the more highly ranked guy. There were some really highly ranked kids that if I told you that the Notre Dame staff really wasn't that high on that guy, you'd be like, get out of here. But I'm like, I think they're right, though. Uh, So it really liked Caleb Smith. He was one of the guys that, that really wanted to make that push for Caleb Smith late in the process and you know, he was a guy that was like hey as soon as got here got to get Braylon James and Jane Greathouse right now Chad Bowden was right there with him right those two guys from sure. what I understand uh see eye to eye on a lot of things from a recruiting receiver standpoint but like just like Tayshon Lyons and he liked mm-hmm. him a lot early and and liked him more than some of the other highly ranked guys and so uh now I didn't agree with everything that coach Stuckey uh, thought from a receiver standpoint he wasn't very high on on um Ronan Hannafin I disagree with that But you're always going to have that, right? And if you find yourself never disagreeing with someone, you should rethink things. Uh, Mm -hmm. But uh, he gets an asterisk for me because I got to go through more than one cycle. But I really liked his evaluations this year. Well, not just with the kids they landed, but just in general, some other kids. So he's in that conversation for me. And uh, man, look, we talked a lot about what would a Tommy Reese offense look like without Brian Kelly? And I, and I still don't think we, we know the answer to that because of certain circumstances that kind of came about this year. Mm-hmm. I'm not absolving of Coach Reese of that, but I'll say this. You can't deny that quarterback recruiting looked a lot different when Tommy was given full control. You know, not just the Nate Moore thing, but the Kenny Minchie, CJ Carr, you know, guys that that – now, CJ might seem like an obvious one, but – tommy decided on him early really early Mm -hmm. and so far i'm like you know having talked to some different sources about kind of who he ranked in that after dante conversation was like okay well if this is how it plays out then i I can dig that and and having talked to some sources about how he felt about jackson arnold and some of the other guys that i wasn't super high on so this is partly because you're asking me my opinion well i'm going to tend to think coaches are good evaluations that Either a have results that speak for themselves, which is what, could, or guys that maybe don't have the track record that tend to agree with me a lot. I mean, that's that's the only way I can base it. I can't if someone if I think one thing and this guy always thinks something else and there's no evidence to prove who's right or wrong. I'm going to have to look at it based on my opinion. So he's another guy that I'm curious to see how how that pans out defensively. I I don't know if I could even go with Chris O'Leary on that one right now. I I mean he's he. He didn't sign a single safety last year. And I don't believe that the Minich one, for example, was necessarily all him mm-hmm. same with a Don. It was kind of like they, they earned scholarships at camps with all eyes on them. Right. So it's a little bit different. He's got a lot to prove to me. Mm-hmm. Very bright future, very young still, but he's got a lot to prove to me uh, from mm-hmm. a evaluation standpoint. Um, but Mickens, Mickens on defense for sure. The rest of the staff, I'm not very high on right now defensively. Um, it's TBD. Yeah. TBD, TBD for moves, O'Leary. Yeah. Uh, Al Washington, I'm just not. I'm not a fan of what I've seen so far. Which
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, you you can't be, and that's that's the really weird one, right, Brian? Because like that was one guy that we thought was going to be a dynamite recruiter because he has that reputation, and I know there's some some asterisk next to his resume because you know he, he struck old in Ohio well coach at Ohio State I mean that's kind of a it's not incredibly hard to recruit the state of Ohio when you coach at Ohio State right but he has a reputation coming in as a dynamic recruiter he had some misses this cycle right like you can't get around that like lost Keon Keely didn't close the deal with Dante Oh, with um sorry Jason Moore not Dante Moore it was a tough cycle for Moore's in the uh Notre Dame fandom, but he's got a lot to prove. There's no doubt about yeah. it. I, I I, mean, if Chris O'Leary lands Peyton Bowen and they sign tomorrow, then you say uh, three-man safety class is dynamic.
1: But to your point, was it all Chris O'Leary, right. which you have to right. kind of talk about a little and bit. And I'm not saying it's not because from right. everything – I, so like one thing, for example, that I, that I was told is very early on Chris O'Leary – For for sure, felt that Peyton Bowen was better than Caleb Downs. I was told that very early on, and at the time, I didn't agree with it. But they they had seen him up close at camp, they had watched the film, and they just it was more so they thought his ceiling was higher because he was still he was a little smaller and Caleb was a little bit more developed. But I was told very early that that if Notre Dame could only pick one, they would take Peyton Bowen. I, I swear to you, I was told that really early, and at the time, I didn't agree with it. Well, sure. now you look at it and say, well, I, I get that. Now, I don't know if I'd say Peyton's definitely better than Caleb. I think they're both great. They're That's kind of different safeties. Man. But it's a conversation now, whereas when I first heard that, I was like, for me, for what I know, having not seen him at camp, just looking off sophomore film, it wasn't close for me. Peyton Bone was a top 50 to 75 kid at the time. Now, you could see the tools, right? You and I sat here, and we, when he committed Notre name, said, look, this kid's not there yet as a five-star mm-hmm. but man if the light goes on as a senior he will be because yes. the tools were enormous where Caleb Downs is already there but they mm-hmm. were able to look at Peyton even earlier than we did and said no that's the dude we want that true story true story that told me something a little bit and it wasn't just Chris O'Leary again but he was on that train of feeling that so that told me something but I just I need to see it more than just one class because right. last year's safety evaluations ma- had me sh- shaking my head and puzzled. Not just recruiting execution, because I, you know, the whole thing with Xavier Nawakpa was just a, a, an unfortunate situation that, in some ways, was was in their control, and in other ways, wasn't in their control. Mm-hmm. But just some of the evaluations in last year's safety hall were kind of like, mm, not with you guys on that one. Not really sure I'm with you on that one. So we'll have to see. But I thought his. You know, he was part of a staff evaluation that did a really good job, and 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 including Ben Minich, who you and I were not super in love with when they first went after. Like, oh, okay, I'll I'll trust your judgment was kind of my response to some people that I that I reached out to. I'll trust y'all's judgment, but I I, I gotta see it. And well, then what happened? Went out in the fall, Ryan, and he proved it. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. We're ahead of the so curve on that one. No doubt there's a lot that. more coaches on this staff. I'll give the benefit of the doubt to than we're here two years ago. Sure. I'll say that for sure, because this would have been a very short conversation. It would have been like two two years ago, it would have been like Mike Elston. So anyway, on to the next question uh, <laughs> here, uh, you know, like and whoever the tight ends coach was, right? Jim McNulty or whoever. But like that, that would have been the extent of the conversation. That w- <laughs> That would have been it. That would have been it.
3: are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast,
0: lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
1: Benjamin Cartier asks, is, is in your. Oh, I, I'm sorry, Benjamin. I'll get to that, but I did promise I was going to bring up uh, some of the super chats that we have down here. We have one from Matt Lasson and Zach Martin also has one that Zach, I'm going to get to next. Hypothetically, thank you, Matt, for the super chat. Hypothetically, if Peyton were to. Oh, we already got we, to that we hit one. This one. Yeah, it yeah. was the. Then it was the Zach Martin one here. Here we go, Zach. Thank you very much. Says, uh, one nice thing that's happened is elite talent that would otherwise sit and wait at the BAMAs are transferring. They will get a few high-level guys, but overall, the talent is being spread around thoughts. I don't agree with that. I I don't. Um, Number one, there's a lot of highly ranked kids at Alabama last year that are still at Alabama. There's a lot of that aren't playing. There's a lot of highly ranked kids at other schools like Georgia and Ohio State. They're not transferring. They're still there. So Alabama's losing veteran players in a lot of instances who are kind of getting pushed. And then some other receivers that are leaving the receiver thing is weird to me. I I don't know Mm -hmm. what's behind that one. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, but here's the thing they're countering that with getting other people's best players. So I don't think, I don't think the talent's getting spread around. I don't, if anything, it's going to start getting pulled in a smaller direction because now Arizona produces a big time receiver last year, leads ace, PAC 12 and receiving yards. What does he do? Transfers to USC. You know, team like Pitt produces a big-time receiver. They haven't done that since what? Like Larry Fitzgerald and Antonio Bryant back in the day, right? What happens? Bam, he transfers to USC. Mm-hmm. Georgia Tech produces a really good all-around running back. I think, so. I think he's a tad overrated, but what happens? Transfers to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Vanderbilt has a nice you know left tackle they developed over a period of years. What's he do? Transfers to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Georgia wins a national freaking championship, and their leading receiver decides to transfer to Alabama. And boy, I bet he's regretting that decision now. And I said, nope, no, he's not, because he didn't leave for winning. He left for that. And Georgia's still winning with Lad frickin' McConkie, right? So I just find it funny that Georgia is now winning the Alabama way, but Alabama's losing trying to be uh, this this high-octane type of team. Scoring a lot of points, but not winning like they used to. So I and George is winning the way that Alabama used to. I just find that fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. But I I don't I think that I think the talent's getting spread out a little bit in high school with high school recruiting. I do think there's a lot more spreading out. I think Miami and Tennessee and Notre Dame and teams mm-hmm. like that are starting to take more of those players. UCLA just if if NIL is not a thing is is Dante more at UCLA? I don't think so. Right. I think he's in the Midwest. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, so i do think that the talent is being spread out more at the zach at the high school level more Mm -hmm. so than the portal level in my opinion i
2: i I think in the portal there's a i mean there's a small bucket of teams that are really succeeding heavily because of the transfer portal right like there's destinations that teams know that that's you know where you're going to go i mean for the most part though the kids that are leaving the alabamas that maybe aren't haven't played a ton or, you know, going to different schools, but they weren't succeeding at Alabama, right? Like they weren't heavily producing. Alabama's gonna bring in another guy that is going to produce at a higher level. So I think that it's just about I don't think there's as much parody as people are acting. I think it's maybe it's parody at the top, I guess, if you want to say like, you know, the Alabamas, the Georges, you know, this Small group of teams that are kind of benefiting off of it, but I don't think it, it's definitely not a widespread parity for sure.
1: Next question is good, good questions. There's another uh, super chat down there from Milton fan. Thank you for that. Uh, for by the way, Zach, super chat here from Milton fan. Do you suspect a lot of folks get jail time for NIL evaluations for NIL violations in the coming years? No one's going to get jail time for NIL no. violations, it's not illegal criminally, it's illegal by the rules of the institution it's not a criminal thing i will not be shocked if at some point in time some booster or a player ends up in jail the player would end up in jail for going four years without paying his taxes because either a he's not savvy enough to know all those intricacies and i would have not known all of that as an 18 year old freshman or b Sure. He gets taken advantage of by some scumbag who tells him, Oh no, no, we take care of your taxes. When in reality, they were just embezzling his money and he's the one that gets in trouble for it. Right. Something one, that, that could happen. If this doesn't get fixed quickly, mm-hmm. the other thing's going to happen is you're going to have some guy that's just committing fraud. That's just using NIL as a way to uh, create some fund, some collective that he, that he's just right. And then just, just, embezzles it or he's skimming off the top or something like that that I think will happen Ryan that that that'll happen but that's not that's not an Nil violation that's just you being a criminal and using these Nil things as your pathway to being a criminal right mm-hmm. that those are the those are the things that I think could happen so some some director of some fund is going to go to jail in the next 10 years <laughs> for cheating the fund or yeah. you know what I mean or scheming it or something because it happens all the time in these type of things. Mm -hmm. right so much of this stuff is just pure corruption like the 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 national labor board trying to get involved with usc players they're doing that again remember they did this with northwestern Mm -hmm. and oh no no we're we're doing it for the kid no you don't give a crap about these kids you want a bit your unions from what i understand reading different unions are losing people right because the workforce is smaller right well i'm not paying union dues if i'm unemployed right so where do you get this mass influx of thousands of workers who have to play union, have to pay union dues, college athletes? Bam, right there thousands of of, of new and now these kids are going to be making x I mean big amounts of dollars and you know why why do some of these governors want that? Man, if all, if we got two major football programs in our state, 85 kids on scholarship, there's going to be millions of dollars coming to these kids. We're going to tax that. You know what I mean? You know that's happening. Oh, we're looking out for the kids. No, you're not. Just be honest. I just wish people would be honest. You know? And because uh, here's the thing, you may think you want to be an employee, but just as I'll say all the time, these kids are about to have a harsh reality of employees can get fired. People say, well, mm-hmm. coaches can leave whenever they want. No, they can't. Every single coach, there's some sort of buyout to leave one job to another. You don't just go, oh, I think I'm going to go coach over there. There's a buyout involved. You have to pay, and in a lot of instances, millions of dollars to get that coach out of his contract right so sure if a kid wants to say okay cool i'll leave but i gotta give my money back or i gotta give a portion of my money back then sure let him transfer whenever he wants if you want to say it's like the coaches then make it like the coaches Mm -hmm. where if i want to get a kid out of the transfer portal i gotta pay a buyout fee see how that goes and it's got to come out of you know sort of what you're doing too Right, You want to get out of here the deal that we agreed to? Cool. Just know that there's consequences to that. That's what happens with employees. Just so you all know, that's what happens with employees. And a lot of these kids don't realize that. And and here's the thing. What happens if a coach goes – Will look, Dan Mullen is in the SEC championship. A year later, he's fired. Let me rephrase mm-hmm. that. In one year, he's in the SEC championship. A half a season later, he's fired. Okay, so is that what y'all want for yourselves? Okay, cool. Let's do it. And then see what happens, right? That's not good for young people, man. This is.
2: There's going to be a lot of stories. It's going to be a lot of stories. I mean, because there's going to be a lot of players that are going to be, in a couple of years, they're going to be spouting and bringing up that they weren't given what they were promised for. And then you're going to be like, but you were promised improper benefits and then there's going to be an investigation and there's going to be this, and there's going to be, it's going to be people call it the wild West, man. It it is like, it is a, I I can't even wrap my mind around it, Brian. Like there's just going to be so many stories, man. There's going to be so many stories. There's going to be so many players that are taking advantage of. There's going to be so many things that you're going to hear out there and you're just going to kind of make sense of it. And, I mean, who are we going to blame at that point? It, it always come back to the same thing, right? The NCAA didn't do anything to help anybody, right? Like, they didn't put any regulations. They didn't put any stipulations. Like, it is just people trying to figure it out day in and day out, and we're using it as a scapegoat of why they're doing the actions that they are. That's where we are with this conversation, and it is just very unfortunate because I feel like it is tarnishing the game of college football because it's now getting a little bit – people talk more about – the corruption than the actual game on Saturdays.
1: And it's just, it's wild, man. Absolutely wild. Well, to, to your point, Ryan, it, it, you're talking to two pro NIL guys, but Ryan says this every time. This isn't NIL. It's, it's not. not, it's pay for play. Yep. And that's different than NIL. And if you're not playing, I'm not paying you. Right. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what are you going to do? Sue a guy for not paying you something that he illegally offered you and you illegally accepted in the first place? Ugh, you know what man. I mean? So, yeah.
2: Just okay. wait for the first player that is a complete bust of a recruit that got uh, promised multi-million dollars and a, a school's like, you know what? You weren't worth $5 million. You weren't worth it, so you're not going to get it. And then that player's going to be very upset, right? Right. But – what is he going to do about that? What are you going to do? Oh, about he it? can just
1: transfer someone else. Okay, sure. He just lost a year development.
2: Yes. And there's no guarantees that you're going to get the money that you were initially promised at the next school because you haven't produced. So what is, your, what is your backing? You don't have a
1: backing at that point. Yep. Next one here is from Tommy Guns. This is going to be a pretty quick answer for me. Tommy <laughs> Guns says, why is Frosted Flakes with chocolate milk the best cereal combination? Never had it same here never had it so i i don't know why tommy you tell us uh i think cocoa puffs is pretty legit if you're looking for the chocolate milk combination because uh it it's the cocoa puffs turn it into chocolate milk i'll say this i i love i actually really like frosted flakes i also love chocolate milk but i've never had the urge to put the two together agree so i don't agree just like remember when they came out the chocolate flavored frosted flakes a while back yeah never had them no thanks Hard pass. Hard pass. All right. Let's get to some more here. A lot of good questions here today. Bowl game. Is the bowl game a show me game from Benjamin Carchi? Is the, in your opinion, is the bowl game a show me game for Tommy Reese? Wanted to get your thoughts. Randall, let you kick off. I mean, I think that there's a to a
2: degree, right? Like, I I don't think it's a trying to put this in the best possible way I can. I think that it's a big opportunity for coach Reese because there's going to be, look, he's going to get the quarterback back that he began the year with that he was excited about, right. That everyone around the program was excited about. You're going to have why you're going to have Tobias Merriweather back healthy after missing the last couple games with a concussion. You're going to have Dion Colsey now who was injured to begin the year and a guy that you are now becoming a more dependable target. You have a running game going, you have an offensive line that's playing at a high level, So I think, yes, to a degree it is, because I think that you now have more. There's less there's less question marks than there was at other points in the season. Right. You don't have Michael Mayer. We agree. Yes, it's a big loss. But you still have talented players to position. You have more certainty at the wide receiver position than you had to begin the season. In my opinion, your running backs are more proven commodity at this point. Your offensive line is playing better and you have your quarterback back. So I think it is a proving game to a certain degree. I don't think it's the end all be all, but I do think it's a big opportunity for coach Reese to show that when he has things in place, that he can be a play caller and can be a successful strategist at that position. So I think, I think it's to a degree. I just don't think it's the end all be all for me.
1: So people are talking about, well, I'll give my answer to this as well. Is it a show me game? Yes. Is it a show me game from the standpoint in which I am interpreting this comment as in like a, if he doesn't show you, then it's, he's got to go. No, a a bowl game for me should never be that unless it's your final straw. And that's not where Tommy Reese is. I think this is a, this bowl game is an opportunity for him to um, show if he can, if he can kind of take another step. Can you, can you maybe, I don't say learn from mistakes, but like learn from how the season went. What, who did what well? Who didn't do what well? Did you do you do you self scout effectively in this bowl ta- down bowl time? Uh, do you game plan effectively? Do you show a better usage of Tyler Buckner now that you have a better understanding of who your team is? Because right. before it was kind of like you're trying to build a team around Tyler and you just weren't sure what that team was going to be. Now you know what your team is and now you're fitting Tyler into it. It's a whole different thing, whole different mm-hmm. thing. And so, uh, how does he do that? But at the end of the day, let's just say Tommy Reese comes out and just rips up South Carolina. Okay. But does it really matter a ton? Yeah, it does. Recruiting, it'll be good. You can kind of spend the whole, hey, look, once we finally got healthy, got our quarterback back, we went out and did this and this and this against South Carolina, if that were to happen, for argument's sake. Mm -hmm. But if you go out next year in September and you're scoring 25 points a game again, nobody gives a rip about what you did in the bowl game. Let's just say the bowl, the, their offense is just okay in the bowl game. It's win 27 24. It's okay, but it doesn't blow you away. Then they come out September. They've made some adjustments. The guys have gotten better. Whatever happens to quarterback, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A year or two of Harry Easton offensive line. And all of a sudden, their names running 44 points, scoring 44 points a game. Does anybody give a crap that it struggled in the bowl game? Right. So to me, Benjamin, to your point, is it's a show me game as part of a bigger evaluation.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not a show me game from a okay last chance situation. It's not right. in that regard. It's more for me about momentum and learning about how he views this team. Now that mm-hmm. certain pieces are fitting together effectively I Agree in this, at this point in time, next question, Irish blooded says as surprising. The secondary was this year from last, which group w- with this class, do you expect to make the biggest jump from this year to next? That's in it. So basically, by adding the 23 class to the roster, like we did with the secondary last year, which group of players will make the biggest jump from 23, 22 to 23? I have an answer, Ryan. I want to hear if yours is the same. Yeah. Wide receiver is the one for
2: me. It is because I think that you're finally going to see Tobias Merriweather healthy with Deion Colsey. So you get to see that kind of skyscraper feel outside. Jaden Thomas took a nice step forward, middle and to the end of the season, which was great to see. Lorenzo has had a couple solid games in a row. Hopefully he continues to trend in the right direction. And then you get a four-man class of Jaden Greathouse, Braylon James, Rico Flores, and Caleb Smith, where those guys are going to be able to play a lot early. And I think that there's a couple players in that class, especially that have the ability. Like, I don't think that it's necessarily – Look, I I think this, right? If Jaden Greathouse in any year is a good enough football player to come in and play early because he's ready to play, right? Like it's not like you – he. it's just pushed into that spotlight because of need. He is a good enough player to play. Braylon James is a good enough player to play. Rico Flores is a advanced and good enough player to play. So having that four-man class of guys that I feel like can contribute early on top of Tobias Merriweather now being a sophomore, continue to develop. Deion Colsey being a junior with some confidence now with Jaden Thomas and Lorenzo Styles coming back. I feel like when you put all that together, you have a nice influx of young talents, but you also have developing players that are now going to be sophomores, juniors, and continue to develop. So I'm really excited to see what the wide receiver group looks in 2023 because I, I do think it's going to take a massive step forward.
1: So for me, I'm with you on receiver. I think you talked a lot about the new guys. I think the returners are going to step up and I and I do expect them to get a transfer. And I just think, too, not even just them. I think they're going to be a greater focal point of the offense because you don't have Michael Mayer anymore. I think that you're going to be in your your, you know, your quarterback situation is going to be a way different next year than this year. Look, the receivers did not play to the level of their production. Their level of play, in my opinion, after I'd say about the third or third game, started getting better against Carolina. First three games, the receiving core played bad. I mean, just no excuses, bad. Brayden Lindsey, I thought, played well outside of a really bad drop against Marshall. It was bad. It was an. It was a. It was a bad drop, in that it looked bad. The one that hit him on the right. head. Yeah. But I think the ball just died on him. You know, it happens. But other than him, I thought the receiving core was embarrassingly bad the first three games. Like embarrassingly bad. Like I wanted Jaden Great. I wanted Jaden Thomas out of the lineup after the Marshall game. It was one of the worst receiver performances I've ever seen. By the end of the year, Jaden Thomas was a really good football player. You know what I mean? Like he got a lot better. That's coaching. That's Jaden not letting success, you know poor games get him down. All that stuff. And and you know, so by the end of the by by the middle of the year, this receiving core was playing a lot better than their production. Again, you cannot throw yourself the football. Can. Ryan, how if you and I went and and went back and and took pictures of all the times the receivers were at least two and a half to three yards open within the normal timing of a play, not quarterbacks going down as the guys coming open, but the normal time of right. the play? How deep do you think that highlight would be? I'm going to say at least fifteen to twenty plays,
2: just for Braden Lindsay, too. <laughs> just yeah, kidding, a but point. seriously, kind of. <laughs> No, I mean, you're not wrong, Brian. I mean, I think that especially later in the season, because I I think that what you saw, too, was players got more comfortable in their own skin down the the stretch, too. Like Deion Colsey, I feel like, as that vertical outside receiver that can just hit comebacks all day, for instance, right? Because he's just that type of dude, because he can threaten that way. Seeing a Jane Thomas develop into a really nice slot guy who has an understanding of how to run routes, how to attack blind spots, I mean, yeah, I think the wide receivers' production didn't match the fact that I think that they played very well down the stretch. And I think there was a lot of promise. And I think that another year of maturation, those guys take a step forward. On top of the four-man class that's coming in, again, I think that wide
1: receiver is going to have a big plus next year. Agree. We did have a question down here, some people asking about the shirt. Uh, TJ Stella Stelika says, is that shirt on the IB store? that's fire sort of uh, it's not this particular logo color I believe the gold shirt that we have in the store uh, it's one of the options on one of the shirts so like if you go to the main page it's not it's not showing as a gold shirt but if you look at some of the different IB shirts there are some that have gold as an option mm-hmm. uh, but it's um it, there there are shirts that have it yes I got I'd have to go through and kind of pick out which ones because there's a couple shirts that are that are currently not show. I'm looking at the store now that they're currently not showing. So I'm not quite sure where they are. So I have to go look that up to find out where those shirts are. But yes, there are some gold shirts that are in on store. The this one is unique for me. They're the nor they're the normal logo. The ones that are on there the normal logo. So, uh, yeah, I got a new project Ryan. Like, I have, like, I don't have anything else to do. Is I got to go find out why a couple sh- uh, of the items are not showing up on the store right now. Uh, so I don't know where why that's happening. So it's I have weird. to, get have to get the bottom of it. Get to the bottom of it. But, uh, but yeah, there there are some of those options on there. So, yeah, there you go. Just, so, just so people know. But I got to have some stuff that's just for me. You know, what I mean, <laughs> got to have a little something, something that's just for me like that pullover i got i just i got a blue one for me and a white one for Vince. it was just gonna be for us you know and -hmm. then of course after about 25 emails and texts and dms people (laughs) asking for it it's like okay fine we'll put it And i think we've sold probably 20 of them so far since we put in the store so it's like okay cool we'll we'll go ahead and add it we'll go ahead and add it all right let's get to some more questions tons of great questions here today ryan Mm -hmm. Scott Europe says which incoming freshman do you feel has a chance to be a freshman all-american team next season offense and defense I I think the answer on offense is pretty easy right I mean for you Ryan uh, am I correct in saying it's Jaden Greathouse
3: yep
2: I mean again I think I think you could make an argument for a couple different wide receivers but for me it would be Jaden Greathouse right what about defense I mean, it's kind of what we
1: talked about earlier. It's the guys we think have the best chance to play right away. I I definitely think Peyton Bowen could be that. There's no
2: question. He's he's that guy for me. Like he's I wouldn't be surprised if he's like the, you know, if he ends up in Notre Dame, I wouldn't be surprised if he leads the team in interceptions because he just has crazy ball skills and is that impactful, you know. Like, and the one good thing that he would have going for him as well is if he does end up in Notre Dame, is that. Got two really good corners on the outside, too, right? So he might be able to freelance a little bit and that's right, take a couple gamble a
1: little bit, which is that's right, that's what you want to be. Is you want to yep. be able to take some chances at times. Yep. Coach Kosh asks, Gents, who are your top three or best or favorite walk ons? Are we talking all time, or are we talking on the current team? I mean, if it's the current team, I, two stand out for sure. I mean, Ma- Michael Vincent's number one, like that dude is a mm-hmm. straight money snapper. Mm-hmm. Uh, Obviously, I I put Matt Salerno up there. I'd, I know he gets a bad rap, but the the issue is not with Matt Salerno. The issue is with coaches that were putting him in a role he should not have been in. That's not his fault. Right. Yeah.
4: Um,
1: and I mean, kid made a pretty freaking sick catch against Ohio State. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, it was a great catch. It was, <laughs> it was a phenomenal catch. catch. Uh, but he's one. Who'd the third be? Uh, it's a good um davis Davis sherwood Sherwood? yeah yeah yeah, that kid smacks people man i like that kid but like he's one of those walk-ons is not your typical stereotypical walk-on right like Mm -hmm. when people think walk-on is davis is davis sherwood a walk-on i think so i believe he is because he transferred from michigan right um isn't that the kid that transferred from michigan or am i thinking of somebody else i think you're right okay i'm not i'm not sure but anyway i could be thinking of somebody else but. No, he didn't transfer from Michigan. I'm thinking of somebody else. Uh, but no, he's a sophomore from uh, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, he's he's a walk on because he's not quite a power five caliber, like uh, you know, D- Division one caliber player per se. Mm-hmm. But more so because I don't know his background. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be shocked to find out that kid turned down offers to come to Notre Dame. I wouldn't be either. like he's a good football player. He's the kind of kid that if I was at like Duquesne still, which is an FCS school, we recruited this kid, he'd have been a star for us. Either there's a linebacker or an H back or something, right? Like that kid would have been a star at that level. That kid if that kid transferred to DeValpo, he'd be a great player for them. He's you a, know
2: he's a tough football player, man. Right. he's a tough kid. He threw, we saw him in the spring, Brian, when he was uh he he knocked somebody out on the second level. I yeah. forget who it was, but it was yeah. somebody good.
1: And I was like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's a good football player uh so he'd be I, I, on that list like Matt Salerno, if if I was still coaching at Duquesne I'd recruit Matt Salerno. now he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been one of my best receivers at Duquesne because I had dudes that were getting NFL tryouts but like he'd have been he'd have been playing for me mm-hmm. and at the d3 level Matt Salerno would be a dude for me like mm-hmm. these are good football players they're just not the typical Notre Dame guys you know what I mean but um, David Sherwood and Michael Vincent are the two most impactful in my opinion. Like like those guys legit have really good skill you, you know what, what I'm into.
2: I'm interested over the next couple of years, Brian. This conversation is going to change a whole lot cuz the game is starting to bring in some
1: dudes prefer uh, I mean Hen- man. look, I'll say this. Yeah. Henry Garrity Mm-hmm. Is better than guys that have been on scholarship in the past at tight end coming out of high school. He's ta- he's talented.
2: Yeah. Uh, jo- Jordan Faison is playing lacrosse here as well. Yeah. He is a really good dual threat quarterback who's going to mm-hmm. play slot receiver at Notre Dame. Yep. I mean, there's a, there's an. I just talked to him yesterday, Brian. Luke Tolik, who is out of Wyoming, ha- literally has offers from Utah, Washington State, some pa- Pac-12 teams he is wrestling with Notre Dame preferred walk-on or taking one of those. And he <laughs> right. might end up at Notre Dame. He might, right. and he is a yeah. legit three-star, 6'3 safety. I yeah. can play. Yeah, he'll he be starting the
1: special teams, no doubt, no doubt.
2: If he goes to Utah, for instance, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a two-year starter yeah. in Utah. I wouldn't be surprised at all.
1: They are really upping up their – that's one thing that this staff is doing is they're trying as hard as they can to up their walk-on game, which is very important. Because here's why it's important. Two reasons why. Number one, it's just depth of your football team. And some of these kids are going to pan out and be like really good special teams players. Like when Michael Vinson decided to walk on Notre Dame, who was like, oh, this is going to be huge for Notre Dame. I never heard of the kid until he was on campus for a couple of years. You know what I mean? Well, mm-hmm. now I'm like, thank God they got him to walk on because this kid is a – I mean, this kid beat out a – the thing is he's not the snapper because they didn't have anybody. He beat out he's a good. kid on scholarship. He's twice good. yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what i mean right. like how, how, the, how about the other good
2: how about the other kicker that handled kickoffs this year like he's a walk yeah too good job until
1: the season started like i job? honestly this is gonna sound just disp- i didn't even remember i didn't even know his name until like week three i just i just call him the kickoff kid you oh. know what i mean like and now that's that says more about me than him right that's sure. on me but like he did a great job this year really you know job. um so so you look at some of these kids, and it, it, it help, you can they can help your football team. Reason yeah. number two, with this NIL era and the transfer portal era, you're going to have a harder time convincing some of these kids to be on scout team. You're going to have to pull up kids to your varsity and force them onto the field that three, four years ago would have been scout team kids their first year. Uh-huh. So if you're having to pull these kids up and you don't have a good walk-on program – you're not helping your football team because they're going against the typical stereotypical walk-ons, which is the, you know, the kid that comes from the really affluent homes who mm-hmm. aren't really good football players who are there because their parents have money or that's the stereotype of what a walk-on is in Notre Dame. If right. you're not working hard to build up your walk-on program, that's what you're getting. Now that's not what Notre Dame has done. They've done a pretty decent job for years and it's, it's being up like the Scheidler kids. Mm-hmm. If you go back and watch their high school film, those kids are really good football players. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They're just not big enough or quite athletic enough to be typical Notre Dame kids, but those kids go down on scout team and give you a look, you sure. know, and, and, and eventually like Davis Sherwood earn a role, mm-hmm. you know, Davis Sherwood is their fullback. He's basically their starting fullback. Right. I mean, they don't use that alignment a, a ton, but mm-hmm. he is. Uh, so and he did that quickly. He's just a sophomore, so my point is: is you're you're not only helping your team out from a, some guys pan out, but you're giving yourselves a much better look when you can put these legit, like when you're putting Henry Garrett. If Henry Garrett is playing scout team for them, you're going against a kid who's like what six five, decent athlete,
3: 30, right? Yeah.
1: Gonna be two fifty when it's all said and done, and you're like. This, there have been worse kids on scholarship than Henry Garrity in the last 10 years. I'm, t- I'm
2: telling you right now, man, I keep saying this, but if Luke Tolik ends up in Notre Dame, I wouldn't be surprised if he's playing special teams very early in his career. Yeah. That kid is a 6'3, 185 plus pound safety
1: right yeah. now, guys. Like, yeah. it's different. It's different. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So that the answer will look a whole lot different in a few years. Ryan That's is potentially. Ryan is correct. Yep. And a couple of those kids we may have on the show tomorrow. You never know. You never know. So we'll see. <laughs> Uh, Irish Blooded asks, uh, do you uh, come on, pull up, almost put him in timeout? Uh, hit the wrong right click instead of left click. Do you think the linebackers we have now in depth and in the class coming in that you might see Maris move to another spot in the linebacker pack or depth or only get used more situationally? I, I think it's
2: possible. I mean, we've wrestled with this conversation, well, not wrestled, we've had this conversation over the last couple of weeks about Maris playing some Viper more extensively. And I, So for me, I'm at the point with Marist where I still think that his athleticism can be utilized in the right way. So that would be maybe playing a little bit of Viper in certain situations. That would be playing off ball, but maybe more in a dime look where he can kind of just stick to one facet of the game and do it well. But I do think to Irish blooded to your question – At some point, man, like you got guys like Junior Tullia Labaka, Nolan Ziegler, Jalen Sneed on top of Drake Bowen, Preston Zinter, and Jay Nosberry. Like those guys are going to be too good to keep off the field. So it's not a throw Maris Leifel to the curb and he can't play at all for you, but it might be a situation where you say – I can use that kid, but he has to be in the right role, right? He's athletic enough that he can make a impact on the team. It just might not be as a traditional stacked will linebacker. That might not be in the mm-hmm. cards for him, but I do think that there is a world where Maris Wayfowl plays a role and is a productive football player for you. I do hundred yep. percent.
1: Next question here from uh, USMA 87. Can early enrollees practice with the team? It looked like some other programs were doing it uh, again. I believe this is not 100% guaranteed, but like I had a guy that from Oregon reach out. He goes, hey, uh, do you know why this kid would be on campus? I said, is Oregon in a, in a quarter system? He goes, yes. I said, well, there you go. Because basically early enrollees can start when that next semester or quarter that they are enrolled in starts. And for some folks, the the winter quarter has already begun. And so those kids can enroll. As long as they're graduated from high school, that's the, you have to be graduated from high school first. Then you can enroll. If Notre Dame is on a quarter system, uh, there'd be guys on campus right now, but they're not. So that's the reality of it. Next one here. Um, I'm going to read this comment uh, from Mark Fisher. If kids are being offered to me and they're foolish not to accept it first, they are probably going to play in the NFL. Notre Dame advantage academically makes no difference in their lives. I, I think that's utter nonsense. Yes, all um, of it. All utter of nonsense. nonsense. Number one. There is nobody, there is no group of five-star, four-star, anything that's probably going to make the NFL. Mm -hmm. The odds of making the NFL, even as a five-star, are incredibly low. And then a lot of the guys that make the NFL are making it as like seventh-round draft picks that Mm -hmm. that don't make generational money or lifetime money. And the reality too is, is two million dollars in 2022 about to, is not what it was 15 years ago. People need to keep for keep forgetting that two million dollars doesn't go as long now as it used to. Go look at mm-hmm. what the, a car cost 10 years ago compared to what a car costs now, right? Like you got to reprogram yourselves a little bit. So um, I strongly and then it kind of contradicts himself. Second, if they invest the money, they will be financially ahead of any difference nerd degree makes financially. And where right. are they gonna where are they gonna learn the tools to properly invest that? You really mm-hmm. think Kentucky and Alabama are gonna have courses on helping these kids properly invest their money? Are they gonna be around stu- other students on campus and allow them to become that? No. It just there's so much of what Mark is saying here that I just think is so incredibly off base here. Well, this
2: the second sentence, I mean, Notre Dame advantage academically makes no difference in their lives. Right. Buddy. So
3: <laughs> you could like, talk to
2: you, you could talk to guys like Bertrand Barry, who we've had on the show, Oscar McBride, sure. who spent time in the NFL, who spent more time talking about the connects that they continue yep. to have on the other professional side non- of what they do players. now.
1: Right. Right. Well, who, Which who's Brandon Wimbush's partner in the startup he's working with? It's not some former yeah. player. It's some mm-hmm. kid that he went to school with who was really smart in business and stuff. The other part mm-hmm. of it too, Mark, that, that, that I would push back on a little bit as well is if I gave, if I had two and a half million dollars to invest, right? Mm-hmm. And I went to this one guy and I gave him two million dollars. And there's a couple of bit parables by Jesus that kind of speak to this a little bit too. But if I gave him $2 million and said, Hey man, go start a business. But he had no foundation on how to invest, how to properly do all this, how to do all these other kinds of things. And I give another guy $500,000 and say, Hey, go start yourself a business. But he does know how to do all those things. Or right. if maybe neither of them do, but one kid that I give the $2 million is not surrounded by people that, either care or also know how to do it and then the other guy surrounded by people that do guess what the guy with five hundred thousand dollars is going to go a lot further there's this notion that if you just give people money they're going to be okay and as i've said before the the remember that's the espn show about going broke i have some friends that played professional sports there's a lot more professional athletes that are like that than you think and there's also a lot Mm -hmm. of nfl players that you know were drafted or got signing bonuses they don't last very long in the nfl And then you're sitting there with a crap degree. Let me rephrase that. Not crap degree, crap education. Because there's like there's schools that have very good degree programs. Mm -hmm. There are people walking out of the University of Alabama with really good degrees that are prepared to go be successful in life. Mm -hmm. So like it's not it's not like you know, you go to Alabama, it's no different, and you know, might as well just go to East Mississippi Community College or Independence Community College. It's not the same. The point, however, is what kind of education are they getting as part of the football program? That's the difference. Right. Remember when Jim Harbaugh used to rail against the University of Michigan for that? All these kids mm-hmm. are on general education degrees. What, what what kind of education are they actually getting? And right. so it's not just the degree; it's the it's the quality of the, of the of the education. So Mark says the degree, your degree does nothing for you except get you in the door. Like mm-hmm. let's be real about that. A Notre Dame degree gets you in the door. But the the result is going to be determined by the quality education you receive, and that's right. the difference. And so that's why I would push back on that notion. I I strongly do. I now could could a kid do both? Sure. And this isn't true for every single kid, right? But just saying take it just to take it because you're a foolish not to. I think that's foolish. I, I think it's absolutely foolish. To, and it goes back to what I said earlier. There are some people. They just look at money as the end-all be-all. And as long as you get the money, everything is all good. And that's not remotely true. Mm. Because getting money, okay, gets $2 million, okay? How much is the government going to take, federally and state-wise? Okay, that's number one. How much is this agent getting? Ryan's already said that they're talking about now NIL agents are charging like between 10 and 20% at least. It's wild, man. Which is crazy. Okay, so there there goes another, let's just say 10, 15%. well, Brian, right. can
2: I strengthen your point is that you're told, talking about the kids don't understand how to properly use the assets that they have. Right. So a typical agent that would cost 3% when you're going from college to NFL are now dipping into the NIL market and saying to kids like, oh, no, it's going to cost 10% because right. they don't know any better. Because I'm do- And I'm
1: doing more than I would for my NFL client or whatever. So, yeah, not, exactly. Yeah, they can it's justify the it all they want. Yeah. Who's going to be doing that investing for you? Mm-hmm. Well, those mm-hmm. guys don't do it for free. Right. Right. I mean, so now all of a sudden that 2 million right there, taxes and all this other stuff is half of it's gone. Just like that. Don't
2: forget about family just members, like man.
1: Don't forget right. about it. Yeah. So, no, I'm sorry. It's not. It's not. No, I, I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going to push back on that quite a bit, to be honest with you. And again, it's not the same for every kid. For some kids, I've said this before. For some kids, that kid needs to take his money. Yeah. Mom, got, mom got laid off they got three kids at home mom, you know, dad's on disability, mom lost her job because it's a tough job market. They're about to get evicted from their home because the disability check doesn't equal the cost of, uh, you know, their expenses and their bills and the other type of things. Right. Mm -hmm. You got a chance to maybe change. If that kid wants to say, you know what, I've got to do this for my family. Respect. Yeah. i get it now some parents may say no you don't do that you go do what you got to do first we'll figure this out and that's fine too but mm-hmm. every situation and some kids are just like dude i just want the money as long as you're honest about it i don't care i mean like if a kid like that who doesn't desire an education wants two million dollars go for it because you sure. want to get an education in their name anyway because you didn't care every kid's different well it's like it, it's like
2: I mean, you're seeing that in basketball a lot more too, right, Brian? Like you think about like – remember when Brandon Jennings went overseas to play for a year instead of going to college? It's like some mm-hmm. guys don't want to go to college. I get that. Right. But and that's, fine, okay.
1: But that's okay. That's yeah. okay. And and that's what I always felt like for basketball. But I think football is different just because there just aren't the opportunities to play football. And football is such a, a, a far more demanding sport than basketball and baseball. But I, that's why, you know, like look, if you're if you're a baseball player – and you get drafted and out of high school and, and your goals will be a major league baseball player, mm-hmm. go to the minor leagues, play baseball. That's your profession. It's a different game than college. And a lot of go for it. Uh If you, I don't think, I, I don't think that players should have to go to college for basketball. What, what would LeBron James need to go to college for? <laughs> what would Kobe right. Bryant need to go? I mean, that dude was an NBA player as a junior in high school. Right. Right. It's just such a different game. And so I don't like this whole, and people say, well, the NCAA is corrupt. NCA has nothing to do with that. That's a major mm-hmm. league baseball rule. That's an NCAA, That's an NBA rule. Right. The NCA can't force kids to go to college before they become professionals. In any mm-hmm. profession, none. Lawyers don't, in, institutions don't demand that you be in school for seven, eight years before you can become a doctor or a lawyer. Those professions do that. Right. And so it's no different from athletics. It's not the NCA's decision that, the NBA has the rule they have. I think it's a silly rule, and you know who usually pushes for these rules? The unions. Yeah, because the veterans don't want these young kids coming and taking their jobs. Okay, I get that. So, and that's going to be the first thing is you start unionizing. You know, one of the first groups is going to be calling for for high school players not to get money. Current players. Serious yeah. You know, yeah. including kids who took money. Because, well, yeah, but now, now that I'm here, I don't want that high school kid taking money. You I know? learned
2: from my, I learned from my mistakes. Yeah, right.
4: <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.